I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of September, which means it is once again Masterclass Month, uh, which also means, (laughs) buddy, uh, we are now three years deep into this uh, podcasting bullshit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How's it feel? Uh, well, uh, it feels like we put out a lot of content, so much so that I've forgotten movies that we've actually done. <laughs> you know, that's a really sure sign that you've been doing something for a decent minute there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same space as well. Like, I'm not to the point that I'm, I'm straight up forgetting what movies we've reviewed or not, mm. but, like, when it comes to looking up previous episodes for, like, you know, copying hyperlinks and stuff for promotion and whatnot, it's like, Damn! I gotta root through a lot of pages to find this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's shocking. Um, and I always like I like Masterclass Month because I realize this is uh, like like Halloween Eve. So this is like when I start start watching like Halloween themed movies. So uh, I'm super excited for Halloween now that you've actually said Masterclass <laughs> out loud. Yeah, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, October is uh, I think for at least the past two years, has Mm. been Kyle's killer October. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically, Kyle takes ownership of all the the programming choices uh, for the month of October. So he's very much excited to be in the driver's seat for that. But uh, Masterclass Month, if you're not familiar, is actually the the format uh, for our very first recording of Catching Up on Cinema. It is an unnumbered episode, but it is listed on our feed. we began things with a review of every live-action Predator film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the very first thing we ever did for Catching Up on Cinema was the Predator Masterclass, which also included the AVP titles as well. Um, and then very shortly thereafter, uh, we did a full review for The Predator, yes. uh, which was coming out in theaters, I think, just like a month after we recorded that. Yeah. Um, and since then, uh, basically September has been a month where we take a look at a... Uh, a film franchise, a live-action film franchise, uh, at least for the most part at this point, um, and just do a deep dive on as many entries of it as we can stomach. Um, We try to be as comprehensive as possible. However, uh, sometimes these franchises run pretty fucking long. So four weeks is not exactly enough to cover, say, like James Bond or something. Not that we've attempted that just yet. but um, That's a whole podcast for James Bond. I was about to say that that is an entirely separate project. I don't feel like I don't feel qualified to handle that with with my current workload, but someday maybe. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> but um, yeah, uh, in the intervening years, uh, we we also did a uh, masterclass of the Alien franchise, uh, mm-hmm. with the one title omitted from that franchise being uh, Prometheus. Uh, which we will review someday. Yes. I very much would like to do some housekeeping with some of these master classes, and that that is a title that most certainly will be reviewed by us at some point. Um, and then we also did uh, the, the Batmans, uh, the Batmans. Mm-hmm. Um, we did from the Tim Burton era through the Zack Snyder era, but not uh, the the four hour Snyder cut because that was not available at the time. And we did omit uh, the. 1966 Adam West Batman. Uh, there is a feature film for that particular iteration of character, but we didn't do that, so maybe we can take a stab at that at a later date. Um, but this month, Kyle, do uh, you want to let the folks at home know uh, what we're going to be doing for Masterclass 2021? Uh, yes, we will be covering the Indiana Jones franchise. Uh, 
This is a franchise that uh, you and I are kind of split on. Um, I grew up mostly with the third film. Uh, that was something that my brother and I watched quite often. Um, but this one, I didn't watch the one that we're going to cover today, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I didn't watch until I was an adult all the way through. I watched it like bits and pieces as a child, but I didn't watch it till I was an adult. Uh, and Temple of Doom, I've only seen the one time. And I think I've only seen the fourth one maybe maybe two times, but once for sure. But yeah, uh, so this is actually kind of a... All, this is almost like a catching up on because I'm not super familiar with uh, at least two of these movies. Well, I, I think that's actually a good place to come at it from. I think that gives a more honest impression of the films uh, rather than just from like a, a giddy as a schoolboy uh, yeah, fanboy standpoint. Yeah. It's not yeah. the Chris Farley <laughs> show. Um, but yeah, uh, we should probably kick things off with just like a little bit of a backstory uh, for for the franchise as a whole, as well as uh, you already kind of touched on it, but our our personal history uh, with the franchise. Yeah. Um, so the backstory is as follows: uh, the Indiana Jones franchise uh, is kind of the the brainchild of George Lucas, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the working title for the character was Indiana Smith, which has no fucking ring to it whatsoever. Awful. And, uh, uh, the idea was something that. Uh, was near and dear to George Lucas. Apparently, he started working, like, writing the character and his adventures uh, prior to the production of Star Wars. Um, But they started pre-production on Star Wars, and so that became his life for the next several years. Um, So he put Indiana Smith on the the back burner for the time being. But, but yeah, George Lucas was writing the character that far back. Um, And the story goes that uh, it was on a vacation in Hawaii. Uh, that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, uh, old college buddies, um, that was that was where the meeting of the minds occurred. That was where George Lucas was on the beach, and as George Lucas is wont to do, sitting on a lovely beach in Hawaii, it's like, hey, hey, Steven, I have an idea for an adventure series. It's like, uh, George, I'm, I'm at the beach, like, like I'm, I'm getting my tan on. Like, can we not? Can we? Can we just not? <laughs> Could you not? Yeah. Yeah. But no, apparently the story goes they were both on vacation in somewhere in Hawaii. And uh, George Lucas approached Steven Spielberg with this Indiana Smith character idea. And Spielberg was impressed. He thought it was a great idea. Uh, on paper, I'm sure it was an awesome idea. Uh, basically, an adventure hero, a retro adventure hero inspired by uh, the old uh, theater theatrical serials, uh, the adventure serials, like short films. Uh, episodic short films that used to play uh, in the theaters and sometimes prior to like kind of like where we place our previews or our trailers in current cinematic screenings mm-hmm. um, character was heavily inspired by antiquated productions of that sort um, but yeah Spielberg was the one who changed the name for the character he's like can we ditch the Smith um, and the Indiana part actually came from uh, George Lucas's dog uh, an Alaskan Malamute uh, that was named Indiana and they do the have a reference to that. If, yeah, we do have a reference to that in uh, Last Crusade, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I believe the character's actual name is Henry Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, but he goes by Indiana because that's so much more badass. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, this project was handed off to Spielberg um, at a very pivotal point in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, I had told Kyle this just prior to recording that... Uh, the prior film in a Spielberg's filmography to the release of Raiders of the Lost Ark was 1941, uh, which was like a star-studded, big production, a 
of questionable concept. Like I haven't seen it myself. However, much like something like uh, Ishtar, uh, it's one of those notorious failures that I really do want to see because it's made by good people, but apparently just went astray. Like something something did not go right. Um, and it was kind of his first legitimate, I guess, failure uh, in his filmography. So he was looking for a leg up. I think that we could throw that. I think I actually have a theme for that month because I've been looking for a reason for us to discuss Cloud Atlas. Like, I think that's something that you and I just really need to get off our chest <laughs> just to talk about the, the silliness of that film. But that's also a big ensemble of uh, actors. So I feel like that, I mean, right, I think that could be an interesting month. Just talking about well, like, big failures. Let, not big, big failures, but uh, didn't pan out how we intended it to. I mean, that's actually like half an. That's almost another podcast uh, because it's something. It's something that, like, if you look at my shelf of movies, you will spot some oddities here and there where it's like, why is that there? It's like, well, because I have a kind of a masochistic relationship with film to some degree, where I subject myself to bad things every once in a while, mostly because I'm, I'm very intrigued by the process of filmmaking. And I like doing the detective work when I'm watching a bad film of trying to unravel what it is that makes it bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think like a, a notorious flops month of some sort would would be awesome for me. Like that that's me in my wheelhouse. Like uh, <laughs> the other movie, the other movie that, that came to mind, um, and I couldn't remember it until you mentioned um, until you mentioned that was a uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, which was uh, Michael Cimino, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, director of the Deer Hunter, uh, oh god, massively that critically acclaimed movie. director. Yeah, Kyle's not a big fan of the Deer Hunter. It um, is I so have, boring. I haven't seen it in a hot minute, so I I couldn't give you an honest impression of how I feel about positive or negative at the moment. But point is, he cleaned up at the Oscars. He was he was at the peak of his powers as a directing talent, and then I think right after that he did Heaven's Gate, and it it just shat the bed like like gotcha. everything went wrong nobody wanted it nobody liked it and we don't talk about him very much anymore <laughs> as a result um but yeah uh, ishtar is of course another notorious failure i actually don't remember who directed that but point is spielberg in in the early 1980s or like late 1970s you know he had his jaws for sure but then 1941 came shortly thereafter it and it's like oh shit i'm human i can i'm fallible um (laughs) so he was he was looking for a little help from his friends he was looking to get a leg up and get back on track and uh on paper raiders of the lost ark sounded very appealing to him because uh, the movie despite being regarded as you know one of the greatest action movies of all time if not one of the greatest films of all time uh, was actually produced on a fairly low budget and was actually shot fairly quickly um, by by Spielberg standards at the time. Um, and everything I've, everything I've read and everything I've seen um, based on his impressions of the actual process of making the film suggests that those were things he needed. Like, like he needed to be humbled a bit and he needed to get back to his roots of like, kind of like quick and dirty filmmaking. Um, and there, there are aspects of that that I think aided his process of making this like just kind of going back to being not not a kid but just you know rediscovering your your passion for for working in this environment um so it was very good timing for everyone involved Um, george lucas was on set very frequently Um, he was allowed to operate the camera although he was very honest in saying that i think i think steven like allowed him to do that just out of the kindness of his heart 
<laughs> yeah. Like I don't I don't think it was because he valued his creative input as a as a cinematographer. I think it was more just like this will keep him occupied. It's like it's like giving a kid a Game Boy. It's just like just, just shut the fuck up, George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or let the kid steer while it's on autopilot. Oh, you're doing a great job. You you're doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, totally a b- much better example. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, George. You're so good at this. You're so good at this. My God. Way to go, champ. And then you give him a little <laughs> knuckles in the shoulder. <laughs> no. Way to go, sport. <laughs> no, Kirsch- Kirshner directed that one. No, no, he didn't direct that one. It was, yeah, he did the episode five. Yeah, George, do uh, you want to... <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the that is one of the funny parts about this franchise, though, is that... Um, to date, and this will be changing in the next year or two, um, it holds the distinction of being a, a long-lived franchise that has the same director for all of its films. It has the same star for all of its iterations. Um, and that's that's not something you get all the time with franchise filmmaking. And it's impossible to, to disconnect George Lucas from this franchise as much as you'd like to point to Spielberg and say he's the guy. He's the guy. No, it was George's idea, a lot of the creativity that did come from him. Um, So credit where credit is due. Um, But the reason I do say that uh, that is going to be changing is uh, we have um, What's-His-Fuck is directing the fifth film. Like It's currently in production. James Gunn. Mangold. James Mangold. James Mangold. Who's that? Uh, It's the fellow that did Ford vs. Ferrari, uh, Logan... Uh, the Wolverine and uh, a movie I think you you watched over someone's shoulder on that plane, uh, Copland. Oh, I watched pieces of <laughs> pieces of Copland. The guy sitting next to me on the plane was watching Copland. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, and I'm... apparently he was handpicked by Spielberg. Like Spielberg hmm. spoke very highly of him over over the past decades or so, and uh, he was given the reins. Uh, I at this point don't actually know what the concept for the film is. Uh, however, after what we got with Indy 4, regardless of who's directing it, I have my concerns. We have to be passing off that. the we have to be passing off the baton because Harrison Ford is old as fuck. Dude, he 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 destroyed one of his legs making one of those Star Wars movies. <laughs> like all he did was like walk down a ramp and he snapped in half. <laughs> him in episode seven like that was it dude like he he was just young enough to not be too old for that character i'm like it's it's over with dude he's so old you can't see han solo was not a fast moving fella like he's more you know laid back i'll shoot the gun a little bit but he's a pilot he does sitting indiana jones is fucking sprinting and jumping and swinging like this is not for him anymore. it's a very well and also just the concept of the character i think the character was pitched by george lucas as a james bond without the hardware i think was the phrase used yeah as in like more of a tooth and nail hero just like fists and guns kind of guy as opposed to like a, a whole a whole car full of gadgets like the point is he's low tech and that's part of the charm of the character is that he's he is very much a rough blunt instrument um but yeah it's funny actually my brother pointed out um the trailer for uh clint eastwood's latest film uh he's directing another film jesus he's also starring in it kyle uh (laughs) he doesn't do that all the time but uh yeah he's also starring in this one and uh my brother pointed out that it has one of the most embarrassing punches thrown in cinematic history and i was like (laughs) 
yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> like, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. God damn, he is old. And he's starring in movies. I haven't seen The Mule. I've heard okay things about it. Uh, before I realized you were doing Axl Rose, I thought you were doing Skeletor hi, for a second. Hi, 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 how? I thought you were going, yeah. No. No, that was my That was my Axl. I mean, he does have... He does have sunken cheeks, that's for sure. Like he does have a skeletal uh, facial structure, but mm. um, yeah, I don't need to see Harrison Ford throwing punches in twenty twenty two or twenty three. Um, but I'll I'll fucking see it because I I for one love this franchise, and that seems like a good enough point to transition into our personal connection to to Indiana Jones. Uh, so Kyle, I've been rambling for God knows how long. Uh, you want you want to dive right in on you? Yeah, mine will be quick. Uh, like I said, my brother and I grew up watching the third one. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I still really enjoy watching that movie. Uh, Temple of Doom, I think we watched one time when we were kids. and just It was back when we didn't know that we didn't like movies. It's just we didn't re-watch it. So it was one of those that we watched one time. We're like, yeah, we're fine. We don't need to see this again. Uh, it might be because of Steven Spielberg's wife. Uh, she, she brings an energy to that film, which is hard to revisit. Um... But the uh, first one, uh, like I said, I didn't watch this until I was an adult. I remember seeing like pieces of it. I think maybe the end, the end scene was the only thing I remember. Maybe the plane as a child. Um, but yeah, I didn't revisit this until I was a, an adult. I've maybe seen this movie two times all the way through. And then the fourth one, of course, uh, I've seen, I think one time, maybe twice. But I don't remember. I remember, uh, what's his name? Uh, even Stevens, um, Shia, Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf um, uh, swinging. That was the only thing I remember from that movie is him swinging on ropes with monkeys. Yeah, I'm making a face right now, folks. You can't see it, but uh, we're a few weeks out from that one. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I gotta keep it under wraps. Well, until just then, but. just remember, you have to get through. You have to get through the fourth Indiana Jones, and then you get to the awesome month of October, which is going to be one banger after the other. Yeah, yeah, I do have that to look forward to. Actually, we, Kyle and I have been spitballing like for probably the whole year, honestly. And I, I think, uh, oh, I think we it. know what we're doing, right? We, we've got it down. Yeah, I've, yeah, I, I'm very excited. It's been brewing for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, did you have any connection to the character though, uh, divorced from the films? As in, like Harrison Ford? Did I like, like the like in- in- indie? Just Indiana Jones as a as a character? <sighs> nah. Not really. Um, <laughs> well, I think this is a good a good time to bring this up. Uh, so, I barely want to count Apocalypse now, but like from seventy nine to eighty four, Harrison Ford. I, I mean, he's like I don't even know what to compare it to. Like he did seventy nine, he had a small little little piece in Apocalypse Now. And this was of course after Star Wars. Uh, Nineteen eighty did Episode five. Nineteen eighty one, he did this movie. Eighty two, Blade Runner. Uh, 83 episode 6 and then 84 Indiana Jones 2 so just just through that little period right there we've got I like iconic Harrison Ford roles um, I think I prefer the character of uh, Han Solo more than Indy I think uh, I, because they're opposite characters really because Harrison like not, uh, not Harrison Ford fucking Han Solo um, is a reluctant he's very reluctant to join you know join the uh, the rebel the rebel rebel alliance and 
he grows as that character. Here, he's just like, I know what's best for for everything, so I'm just going to try to take care of everything. And I wish he was kind of a bit more of a playboy. Um, he He's not crushing as much ass as, uh, as James Bond, but, uh, I mean, he definitely he gets it thrown at him here and there. He'll catch it. He'll catch it when it's thrown at him. But apparently, I read in the IMDb trivia that they intended to have him be a little bit more of a Lothario, which... I think would have made the character a little bit more fun, a little more James Bondish. I personally am just fine with that aspect of how of what we got. Um, but remember, this is a character penned by George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not into he's not into affection. Like, like <laughs> he's he likes words. Like he likes when people stare longingly into each other's eyes and tell each other how much they they feel things for each other. But God forbid they touch each other. Though. Yeah, <laughs> he's not into that. Um, and yeah, Spielberg did did I think veto the Lothario aspect of things. And another idea that was floated was uh, Stephen wanted him to be a, like a booze hound, like he wanted him to have Ooh, a drinking problem. Yeah, I could I like that. And there there are remnants of it still still in the film, but no, for the most part they excise that, and I I kind of prefer that as well. Well, yeah, because that's why I don't really think I like Indiana Jones as much, is because he is always good. Uh, Temple of Doom, he has to have his mind taken over for him to be kind of bad, but he never really wrestles with anything. It's just always, I have to get this done, and hit at whatever it costs, I'm going to get it done. Uh, however, he does kill a man in this movie, just straight up. Oh, no, he, he kills a lot of people in over the course of all these movies. But, but um, I do like the idea of him being an alcoholic or having something where that's like holding him back a little bit. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, he doesn't really have any distinct weaknesses. Mm-mm. But I, I think maybe that. I mean, he doesn't like bullets. Like they they do make him make funny Harrison Ford noises, and he has a lot of those. <laughs> uh, he is a little bit of a sucker for the honey pot in that third one. Oh, I mean, I do. Allison Duty. Yeah, I know, I know, Miss Duty. I'm not blaming him. <laughs> She talks in a sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like father, like son, they both are suckers for the honey pot. <laughs> uh, but uh, as for me, um, I I was raised on the Indiana Jones to some extent. I can't I can't recall exactly how old I was when I first saw Raiders, but I I most certainly did see Raiders first. I think I may have seen Temple of Doom last because that was the one that, you know, all the parents were concerned about because that was the one with the heart rip and stuff. Uh, yeah. um, and the chilled a monkey brains, um, which, you know, for little kids, it's like, ah! But um, I don't remember how old I was, probably just prior to 10 or something. Um, and I remember my dad being pretty hyped on it. I remember at least one of my friends, like in school, being really big on Indiana Jones, pretty much... Similar situation with, like, Transformers for me, where it's, like, technically Indiana Jones was well before my time. I mean, if the first one came out in 81, I wasn't born until 87. But I did have friends who, like, had parents or older siblings that that had that were exposed to these things. So they had, like, some of the toys. And uh, Indiana Jones was still, still, uh, when I was a kid, uh, a popular Halloween costume. So I had at least one or two friends who I kind of, was exposed to the character via like osmosis i guess um but i I absolutely loved raiders when i was a kid mostly because of the the iconic truck chase Uh, i i can't tell you how many times i used that phrase as shorthand um referring to like a preferred style of action action cinema it's like 
if you're gonna give me a good action movie, it it's got to have a truck chase. <laughs> like if you if you if your movie doesn't have a truck chase, and I'm not I'm not literally saying a tr- a chase involving a truck or a, a, a wheeled vehicle. I just mean a sequence that's put together as as cleanly and as beautifully as that. Um, and as a kid, that was just that was cinema to me. It's like I, I watched that scene over and over and over again. I used to like draw pictures of it and stuff. Somehow every every character I would play in every video game or I'd draw on my desk had a leather jacket and a hat <laughs> because it's just a really cool silhouette. It just looks fucking cool. Um, so like inevitably I was always drawn to those characters that kind of had that look, that vibe to them. I'm not saying you're getting old, but <laughs> if you – Folks who haven't seen Trevor, Trevor has a, a has longer hair now, and he has a ponytail, and you do have a leather jacket. Now it is a stylish leather jacket, but when you hit forty, you might be feeling that urge to get that hat. <laughs> and as a Seattleite, that urge is gonna kick in strong on your fortieth birthday. You have to fight that as hard as you can <laughs> because you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I don't want to end up on r slash Seattle. <laughs> you can only be a geologist or some kind of paleontologist to to acquire that hat. <laughs> I need to do the the Chip and Dale though. I need to have a uh, a Magnum PI style Aloha shirt yes. underneath the leather jacket. <laughs> yes, yes, that will balance it out. Yes. If you're gonna add the if you're gonna add the Hawaiian shirt, you better be married. <laughs> you will never yeah. be, you will never get married if you add that Hawaiian shirt. That that is a very good call. That's very similar to sweatpants in public, where it's yeah. like the surest sign that this human being has given up on pair bonding. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> the Costanza, if you yes. will. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, when I was like 13 or 14, uh, I remember my grandma got for me, like the, they did a re-release of, of the series on VHS, similar to how they did the special editions of the Star Wars. Mm. Like it was around that time. Um, and, and she actually got me that, that box set that included one of the young Indiana Jones episodes starring Sean Patrick Flannery uh, <laughs> I was thinking, from the uh, Boondock Saints. I was thinking River Phoenix, but River Phoenix is young Indy in the third one. Yeah. Um, that was Young Indiana Jones. Uh, just spoiler alert: that's not something we're going to be covering this month. Uh, it was a television series. Uh, it it's very long. Um, we we just don't have time for it. Uh, nor do I remember it being particularly good. I did see a few episodes here and there um, when it first aired, but um, I watched the hell out of that box set. And I think that box set may have been the way I initially saw Temple of Doom. Um, so long story short, uh, Indiana Jones means a whole hell of a lot to me. I, I absolutely love this franchise with the exception of the Crystal Skull. Um, that movie hurts me on a lot of levels. It, 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 I find it deeply upsetting. Um, it, it, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, but for the most part, I really I really like the character, like even divorced from the films. Like I've played some of the like the video games. Like I have fond memories of uh, watching my brother play The Fate of Atlantis. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. It was a PC game. It's an adventure game that does the series justice. Like it's straight up good. Um, and I have the the Greatest Adventures, uh, the Super Nintendo game, uh, which is also quite good. It's very similar to the Super Star Wars games. Uh, fucking crazy hard, but uh, a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, anything Indiana Jones oriented is at least going to get my ears to perk up a little bit. Um, and 
I think I think this is the part where you should probably start talking about the film in question, and that yeah. would of course be the the first thing Indiana Jones oriented that ever came into existence. That would be the film Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, not bearing the title, not bearing the character's name in the title, we wouldn't get that until Temple of Doom uh, from 1981. Of course, directed by one Steven Spielbergo. <laughs> so, uh, Kyle, uh, where do you want to start with this guy? Uh, I just we run down the cast real quick. Um, sure. We get introduced. Uh, it takes a while for us to get introduced, but uh, Harrison Ford, of course, playing Indiana Jones. Uh, Karen Allen playing Marion uh, Ravenwood, uh, who mm-hmm. is in the first and fourth film. Uh, Paul Freeman, who plays Belloc. Uh, you may know him as uh, playing Ivan Ooze in the live-action uh, Power Rangers movie. Uh, John Reese davies one of my... Uh, a special character actor to me, uh, playing Sala, and then Denholm Elliott, I think, is the other heavy hitter playing Brody. Yes, uh, Mark Marcus Brody. <laughs> yes, um, ah, I, I had to fight the urge to cut you off and say, mm, "They call him Belosh." Belosh. <laughs> said when you said Belloc. Belloc. Um, yeah. <laughs> Belloc. <laughs> Mm, they call him Belosh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually do like John Reese Davies as a character actor as mm-hmm. well. Uh, he he has a en- enormous presence. He does very much, <laughs> and he, he has an enormous head as well. <laughs> he does. He does have a huge. That's, I was thinking the same thing. While I was watching. Like, God, he's got a big head. Uh, he and Oliver Platt, Kyle. Yeah, like it in a in a like a sumo competition or like a, a mountain goat style like bashing of heads or a pachycephalosaurus clashing of heads who who wins that uh i would watch them uh i think it would be uh john reese davies i think he's a little grittier i think that uh oliver platt would just not take it as seriously um but uh <laughs> i'd like a movie where they play opposite uh coaches like they kind of like a like a little giants or like kicking and screaming but it's uh john reese davies and uh, oliver platt playing coaches i'm not sure what sport I'm thinking something rough, like maybe football or maybe even not soccer. I think opposite football coaches would be interesting because football or rugby or something. So it has to be something gruff where they can yell at the at the kids, basically, uh, and curse and get really. Yeah, see, if, if the two of them were to slam together in conflict, though, I feel like the only way to describe it would be like like an old Hindu legend or something where it's mm-hmm. like they fought for 10 years. <laughs> oh, no, it's, oh, it'd be, it'd be like, it'd be like anime. It'd be like they, yeah, yeah the oceans rended yeah. and the skies split <laughs> as the two giant heads <laughs> slammed together. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Marcus Brody, Denholm Elliott. He's one of those actors that I haven't seen him in very much, but my God, he was perfectly cast because he just, he exudes, warmth like like he's he he's kind of playing the absentee well not absentee but he's standing in for the father figure for indy in this film Mm -hmm. um and he has very little screen time but you just get the sense that it's like this is the guy who who looks out for indy it's like indy doesn't strike me as the kind of person who asks for that from from anyone really but this is the guy who recognizes that there's a need for it and he's just he's just kind of there for him. He's his, he's his good buddy Marcus. I like how they flush him out a little bit more in the third one and his relationship yes. with Sean with uh, his dad in that movie. Yeah. I think it's a lot more fun. Oh no, he he gets so much more to do in the Last Crusade. The two of them have wonderful interplay in like in the tank when they're, when yeah. they're reverting to their, their the school pen is mightier days. than the sword. <laughs> Fucking nerd! <laughs> if Indy, if Indy just like popped his head in, nerds, the hatch or something. Yeah. <laughs> nerds! <laughs> 
That'd be beautiful. Um, but yeah, uh, very well-rounded cast. Everyone is is beautifully assigned to their roles. Um, Harrison Ford, it does need to be said, um, I did make a Magnum P.I. reference uh, just a little while ago. Uh, Tom Selleck, of course, uh, was the leading candidate for the role of Indiana Jones for quite some time. He's too um, stiff. How, uh, I don't know, man. If you see his screen test, it's like, I don't think it would have been bad. Like, like it wouldn't be the same. Like, I, I think we, we won out in the end. Like, the right guy got it. But I don't think it would have been bad, I, honestly. I think Harrison Ford is better at being flustered. Like, he has a bit, he's a bit more comical when he's flustered. Um, oh, he's wonderful when he's flustered. Yes, like, he, he th- shines that, when he's flustered. I'm so glad you pointed that out, because that that is what makes the character to me, mm-hmm. is, is, is that aspect of the character. Is that there's, there's actually a line of dialogue later on in the film, just prior to the truck chase, where he's like, I don't know, I'm just making this up as I go along. <laughs> and, and that is Indiana Jones to a T. Very similar to Han Solo. Like, the two of them fit very nicely in like a venn diagram there is quite a bit of overlap between the two characters but there are very subtle differences and the one thing that they do share though is that they're like they're like a cat man like you throw them off something and they just like they do a tactical roll and they end up on their feet <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the fuck did i just witness it was a miracle and yeah indy always does that he always finds a way to get it done it's not pretty mm-hmm. he gets it done and and it's those opportunities that that he's thrown into the, those sticky situations where you get to see Harrison Ford do his his goofy faces and stuff where it's just like you see how how human he is despite how superhuman he's often displayed to be where it's like wow he, he really didn't expect that to work out as well as it did <laughs> and you believe it um, but yeah I, I guess you're right I can't I can't picture Tom Selleck flustered mm-hmm. like, I, now that you mention it I don't think I've ever seen him flustered I've seen him do a variety of roles like um in and out was kind of a surprise from him um i think he plays a gay news reporter in that one um and it you know it's not something i'd ever seen tom Selleck do up to that point <laughs> i'm picturing two two other front runners that i think would have made it interesting but definitely should not be cast for it uh one michael douglas I think uh, Romancing the Stone is like a lighter version of uh, Indiana Jones. I think it would have been f- a little bit too much fun. I don't I don't think there would have been as no, if much... It would have been too much fun, or he would have been fucking way more. Like, way more. Um, oh, yeah. No, no. Like, some of the scenes with Marion would have gone very differently. <laughs> um, and I think if you were to cast Tom Hanks, it would be too comical... But I just him. I've just, I'm picturing like uh, Tom Hanks yelling in certain scenes. It would be so much fun. It'd be so funny. Marion. I'm, I'm just picturing him running to the plane in the opening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Get it going. Shark. Yeah. Shark at the plane started. Yeah. yeah. I think no, those... it would be too funny. Yeah. It would be too funny. But one of the other uh, candidates was I can't remember his name. I think it's tim matheson i'm probably wrong on that but it's the it's the main guy from animal house um and oh, I, I don't uh I don't he know, doesn't man. do it for me uh i've seen several movies with him in it uh no that that was yeah he wouldn't have been good sorry but yeah uh tom Selleck and uh sean young uh were at one point considered for both of the leading roles um uh, I don't Sean, think Sean Young seems to have a penchant for doing that, like getting this close and not quite poor, getting there. Poor, poor thing. Uh, poor thing. Poor thing. 
No, I think that Marion Ravenwood is. Uh, I I like her character because she's perpetually Punky Brewster. Like she's like tough as nails, but she's like, she's like like I said, like Punky Brewster, tough as nails. Like she's like acting gruff and tough against Nazis. Like it just it just doesn't it doesn't quite add up. She's like, hey Bozo, what are you doing? It's like we shoot people for less, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so shut up. <laughs> no, she she's spunky. And, yes, uh, my, very. my girlfriend quite quite liked her. By the way, uh, my most recent screening of this film was an introduction, uh, very similar to that clip you sent me from The Big Bang Theory, mm. uh, which I had not seen uh, prior to, to recording. I, I think I watched it like two seconds before you hopped on the webcam, but um, uh, I did watch this movie with my girlfriend most recently. And <clears throat> aside from a few uh, leaps in logic in the film which didn't sit well with her uh she liked it quite a bit and she liked both of our leads quite a bit like marion worked for her quite a bit you should be leery of anybody who doesn't like can at least admit that they enjoyed watching it like if they're like the movie was stupid like uh i don't know if there's I need a problem you. here i don't know if i need <laughs> you in my life yeah uh, yeah i don't need this no you're gonna tell me I'm how much good. peanut butter to put on my pb and j get the fuck out of here <laughs> Jeez. yeah uh so you want to start with the temple then because yeah. actually, when, like this movie does have the convenience of having several big scenes, yes. Like that, they kind of comprise it. Like, like we do jump around geographically quite a bit, and there are several scenes, but there's a lot of big scenes that make up the bulk of the runtime. Uh, so our, our first big scene is, of course, in South America, and I believe this is supposed to take place in 1936, if memory serves. Yes, yeah. South America, um, 1936. Yeah, and this is where we're introduced to uh, Doc Ock. Uh, Alfred Molina, oh. uh, leaving his first screen role. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I call him Jesse's girl uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah, uh, Boogie Nights, uh, oh. folks at home. Uh, if you have not seen that, watch uh, maybe it. A, yeah, maybe commit the two and a half hours of your day so, to that. I mean, this is probably going to be a three-hour episode, and I'm fine with that because it's a master class. But I, do you ever do the thing where you start singing a song, but you don't finish the song? You just kind of get it going and kind of, kind of have it in your head. I I find myself every once in a while just going, you got the touch, you got the power, <laughs> doing the Dirk Diggler song from Boogie Nights. Uh, see, what's really funny about that, Kyle, and you're absolutely right, this probably is going to be three hours long. Well, it's going so, to be three hours long. Um, is That song, to me, is connected to Transformers the movie. Uh, really? From 19... Yes, absolutely. Jesse's Girl. No, you've got the touch. Oh, that's an actual song. Yes, the oh. touch by Stan Bush. Oh, I did not know that. I thought that was just for the movie. I didn't realize it. It's like the theme song <laughs> of Transformers the movie. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, it plays when Optimus Prime makes his big entrance, and it, play, and it plays at the end of the movie. <laughs> See, that's, oh, that's what's so great. funny to me is that is that you have that song and you have. You have a, a wonderful touchstone in the form of Boogie Nights, which is an awesome movie. Oh, yeah. But it's like, that's not the one that I know it for. <laughs> wow. I did not um, know that. But, but yeah, uh, Alfred Molina is, uh, he's basically like, he's not a guide. He's just kind of like a back, he's like a mule. <laughs> like yeah. For Indy. Yeah. The, I think one thing that, uh, the, like th- the, the resources, that's one thing that it just, it's movie kind of just don't explain it it's just like uh he has resources that's what sala is the resources just assume that sala is the one that is the connector in this movie but yeah it's uh, it's unclear as to how who these two dudes are because it's these two fellas and then there's also 
a tribe that they're trying to evade, and then Sala, or I'm sorry, Belloc actually gets control of the tribe in this scene as well. So yeah, it's kind of unclear as to who Alfred Molina is supposed to be. So the Hovitos yes. uh, is the tribe, um, and we do have a scene uh, in the opening of the movie. By the way, we like I love that we give our our Indiana Jones a proper reveal. Yes, like um, funny fun fact. Uh, I did not see the opening few minutes of this movie until last night um, because I had only watched the movie on bootleg VHS mm. uh, recorded by my parents probably on an HBO free weekend um, and it was missing <laughs> the first few minutes of the movie. Um, so the reveal of the character was something that I was like, w- how did that happen? And it's like I saw it and it's like, oh, okay. But um Predator is one for me that I didn't see okay. the beginning okay. of that for the longest time. Could you imagine, just real quick, could you imagine having that same experience with Terminator 2 and just starting off, like, after the credits? Like, that would be really tragic because that opening is one of the greatest moments in cinema history. It's fantastic, but part of the... I mean, I'm sure we said this on, on our episode of Terminator 2. Folks at home, you should check that out. Um, I think that was our 100th episode. Yeah, I think um, so. That sounds right. Um, sure. Is is the fact that you can jump into that movie uh, without any prior knowledge of the franchise, and it works just fine. Mm-hmm. Because that's how I watched it. Yeah. I would guess that's how you watched exactly it. Exactly how I watched it. Same with your brother. Probably same with my brother. All of us were introduced to it that way, and it still worked just as well, uh, which is the sign of very skillful filmmaking. Um, and... Yeah, I think I think that's kind of similar case with this one too, where it's like this is the beginning of a franchise. Like every everything that is to be known about this character uh, is isolated to just this film when you're watching it, um, and yet they have the audacity to like introduce their character as if if as if it is like a serialized character or like a serialized narrative where it's like, oh, it, it's Indiana Jones back in back in action once again. Uh, but it's like I've never seen him before. <laughs> but but they introduce him like like we're supposed to know who it is. Well, I think arguably this at least these three movies, um, you could do that with each one. Like there's no characters from this movie aside from Indiana Jones that are in Temple of Doom, and then when we're reintroduced to the characters that were in this movie in the third one, it it kind of just works. Like you don't really need to know about this movie to get jump into the third one. Well, yeah, I mean that was that was the inspiration for these films, and it does ring true like yep. very much so um, you are meant to be able to just jump in and have a good time with it but um i liked that uh when i when i was watching the the making of materials on the blu-ray um i guess uh, alfred molino's first day of shooting was the spiders oh really uh, that was the first thing he did as a screen actor was have a bunch of uh was it orange legged or red legged tarantulas uh, they don't look happy. all over him yeah, yeah they they Apparently they they were too still, so they had to put a female uh, in with the cluster of them to get them wriggling. And uh, yeah, he said that was my first thing I ever did. On film. Jeez, I mean Steven Spielberg has covered sharks, and then this movie is if you're afraid of snakes, stay away from this movie because it is Snake City. Yeah, I mean actually that might be a testament to like Spielberg's talent as a filmmaker, and and it may actually explain. Uh, some of his well-rounded skill set is that he's done all the hardest things is they always like animals kids like animatronic creatures like like he's worked with all the worst things that people generally tell you to stay away from if you can help it a movie about world war ii starting with (laughs) d-day 
a movie about the Holocaust. Yes, he's yeah, he's yeah. really tackled a lot of yeah d- difficult things. Yeah, but a lot a lot of these things happened early in his career too. Mm-hmm. So he learning experiences, um, and it's all cumulative. Um, and he's kept right on rolling since then. Like it, you know, say what you will about him today, uh, I still think he's got something to offer. Hopefully, um, <laughs> he certainly gave us quite a bit. Um, but yeah, this opening temple sequence, um, our introduction to Indiana Jones is uh, he's shown from the back during our opening credits. Mm-hmm. And we just get these two guides and they're traipsing through the jungles. And then uh, they get to where they're going, which is this temple um, that we'll later find is housing a, a golden idol that uh, Indy is on the hunt for. Uh, he's an archaeologist, by the way. Um and one of these guides pulls a revolver on him and he whips around and literally uses a bull whip to crack it out of the guy's hand. Um, and then we get this awesome, like, shadow, stepping out from the shadows reveal of Indiana yeah. Jones that telegraphs so much about his character. Like, it's, it's kind of amazing. It's like, it's like, wow, this is some filmmaking shit. Because it's mm. like, it instills in you a sense that it's like, this is a serious man. He has an edge to him but he's also supposed to be our hero. So it's like he, he's got that like rugged quality to him where it's like if things have to get dirty and violent, he, oh, he's more, he will he's okay dirty. with that. <laughs> he will yeah. get dirty. And the name of science, it's not science, uh, the, in the name of preservation, cultural Actually, preservation. That, yeah. That was something that like my girlfriend was asking me about was like, what is it that motivates him? And, and my explanation, like, and this was where I was starting to realize, oh, shit, they don't really explain that, do they? <laughs> like, my my understanding was that it's, like, it, it's the thrill of the hunt a little bit. Or it's, like, when when he gets the scent of something, he, he's got to get it. But he he has, like, enough of a moral compass where the only the only way he can reach the end of that journey and feel feel okay about it is he returns the item to a museum rather than profit from it directly. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, Steven Spielberg has, you know, uh, a lot to say about World War II, uh, and obviously, he's warranted in doing that, but this kind of touches on something else that Nazis were doing at the time, which was raiding, uh, like, like, taking art and taking artifacts from other cultures and just, like, just hoarding it, basically, which I do believe was actually happening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they were, uh... (laughs) <laughs> and they were grinding mummies up into dust and drinking them and stuff. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it, obsessed it, with the occult. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, uh, I think maybe that's also kind of his motivation. It's like we're undoing what these pieces of shit have been doing the whole time. Well, and also, like, remember, my girlfriend has only seen Raiders. I have the benefit of having seen The Last Crusade and know how that movie opens with river phoenix as the character objecting to grave robbers essentially stealing a cross um with the intention of profiting from it so it's like in my mind it's like his his parentage like his dad is an archaeologist so he's got that in him and but he also has this adventurous spirit like he likes to get in the thick of the action and stuff but at the end of the day it's like i don't want to i don't want to be that guy that like makes millions of dollars off of stealing antiquities from fallen civilizations and stuff it's like i want to feel good about myself at the end of the day so i'm gonna take it to marcus's uh museum instead so it's never explicitly explained but that was my understanding is that it has to do with 
don't know, maybe it's like a save the cat kind of thing, like a screenwriting trick where it's like, we can have him do bad things, but it's like at the end of the day, we need to remind the viewer that he he's a good guy. Like yeah. He has good intentions, unlike those Nazis. Yes. You don't really have to try very hard to explain like what they're about. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like a couple sentences, really. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Not even. Just look at their uniforms in the desert. It's like, oh, I know he's an asshole. Th- thank you for pointing that out. Cause I was like, because military uniforms, like you always associate the SS with having those black, like black uniforms. I'm like, oh, they've got desert uniforms in here. Like it's, they're not just wearing black. It, they're wearing specifically desert designed uniforms in this. Yeah, they brought Uncle Knickknacks winter wardrobe yeah. to the desert <laughs> and they left the they left the summer wardrobe back in berlin um but yes booby traps are such an important part of the indiana jones uh franchise that mm. we we do booby traps heavy up top but we don't really get booby traps the rest of the movie uh booby traps do come into play later and uh, later in the franchise yeah i'm not sure Maybe that had something to do with the production schedule and the budget, because as I did mention, this movie is not as expensive as you would expect, nor was it, a, nor was it an incredibly long shoot. So, logistically speaking, maybe that was asking too much. So instead of booby traps, let's just have uh, snakes. Yes. Um, um, whereas the the trap mechanism stuff becomes much more prominent in, say, like Temple of Doom and and Last Crusade, and mm-hmm. I guess to a lesser extent, the Crystal Skull, but. Yeah, and this one, it's very front-heavy with the booby traps. Um, and then it kind of peters out a little bit and turns into more of a straightforward action film for the bulk of the runtime. Um, but yeah, the the traps we do get in this opening are a doozy, though. Like, classic shit. There's a reason this sequence has been parodied endlessly. Yeah. I mean, UHF, Muppet Baby, <laughs> all the classics. <laughs> I, I love the, I love the uh, when he he gets the piece and uh, he uses sand and he kind of just like eyeballs it. It's like ah, it weighs this much, and he takes sand and he replaces it with the item to keep the trap, basically the traps from you know uh, activating. And of course, it activates anyway. So he the, the place is about to fall down, and he has to throw Alfred Molina the the piece in, in exchange for the whip. And obviously, Alfred Molina's like peace, dude. I'm out of here. Um, and after a struggle, uh, Indiana Jones makes his way out. But we just saw Alfred Molina leave, and then we get to Alfred Molina again. It's pretty gruesome, but still it's kind of silly. It's because I'm like, who is that? Because it doesn't <laughs> yeah, the, really the, look the like face him. Casting. Yeah. yeah, the face casting doesn't quite look right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even as a kid, on a bootleg VHS with tracking problems, it still didn't look quite right. I was yeah. like, oh, that was him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it takes you a minute. That's a really cool idea for a trap, though. Like, it doesn't make any sort of sense, but just it sounds like like playground logic, like something like a kid playing hot lava would come up with. Basically, we have a we have a hallway where there's beams of light coming down from the ceiling, and if you step into the beam of light, a uh, spear trap like shoots out of like a spring loaded spear trap shoots out of the wall, and uh, we do discover a corpse here, like a still slightly gooey corpse. So yeah. it hasn't been that long. Still juicy, yeah. And uh, Indy actually knows this guy. Um, oh. He's mentioned just prior to them heading into the temple. I think the name is Forrestall, and uh, basically Alfred Molina was asking Indy like nobody. He, he's like nobody's ever come out of there, buddy. Like, can we not go in there? And Indy's like, yeah, my buddy. This is where his trail ended. And it's like, oh, that, that's encouraging. Um, and then when the body comes out of the wall, Indy's like, yep, that's my buddy. That's him. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Alfred Molina, I guess, was in such a hurry that uh, he forgot about the, the trap. And he ran right into it. But 
Um, funny, funny bit. Uh, I noticed uh, in the behind the scenes materials, um, the the Golden Idol, like it was open, and there were like there was machinery in there. I think it was an animatronic, but we don't see any movement on it in the finished film. So somebody went to the trouble to build a robot that never made it to the final film. But huh. um, I love the bit with the uh, with the root when mm-hmm. when Indy uh, when Indy has to jump the gap. Basically, uh, he says, "Like throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip." And then Alfred Molina doesn't give him the whip, so he has to just jump for it. And there's this chasm, and he's struggling to get up, and Indy grabs this this root. And he grabs it in his face. This yeah. is that. This is that reaction, that flustered stuff that Kyle was talking about, where he just makes this like self-satisfied face, like, "Oh, it's all gonna be all right." And then the root like no, it's yanks not. out. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> and he just makes this face, like he's holding it a fart, just like, oh, <laughs> and it's so perfect because that that's the character to a T, where it's just like, "Oh wow, that was a lot easier than I thought." No, it wasn't. <laughs> Um, yes, and then as he's making his way out, we get the probably one of the most iconic scenes from a film, and that is Indiana running from the boulder. Um, I believe this was also a ride, I'm guessing at Universal Studios. Uh, I remember seeing like um, advertising for it on VHS. Uh, so there were multiple rides. Okay. Uh, there's one, I don't remember where it is. It might be at Universal Studios, but it's it's like a stage show where they, they ah. reenact all the key beats from the movie. But the one that I actually went on as a kid, one time, because good God, the lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Disneyland wasn't on the docket uh, very often as a family. I think we went there twice in my lifetime. Um, they had an Indiana Jones ride at, at uh, Disneyland. Hmm. And uh, the boulder was featured like front and center in that in that ride and i do remember that that was pretty fucking cool but um this build this boulder part of the charm of it like part of the effectiveness of it is like one it's a fucking stone boulder rolling down at a person and they have to run away from it. it's kind of perfect for like a, a temple crumbling down scenario and, and it's been parodied endlessly but the one thing that like kyle especially is always big to point out is like the boulder's in the room with harrison ford but, like, mm-hmm. that is an actual heavy like fiberglass boulder yeah that, that is as large as it appears and did in fact have some heft to it and could in fact hurt you he um, does some of his I mean, i'm not going to say necessarily stunts but he does a few things in here i'm like oh he just did that when he scales down that first hole with sala he actually like it's not a huge drop maybe seven feet ten feet at the most but he actually goes down that rope uh, without yeah, yeah and and uh what i noticed this time was like man harrison ford must have climbed a lot of trees as a kid because mm-hmm. like when when he has to climb up the statue in in the same in the same set i was like damn he got up there fast <laughs> <laughs> and yeah like jumping out of this temple here like yeah he takes some spills man like he took some bumps for this production uh, one of which i'll point out in a bit but like when we get to it but um yeah him running away from this boulder is it's thrilling you've seen it, yeah and, even if you've never seen the movie you know this scene and and the way they choreographed it too like i don't know if it was an outtake or something but they, they included one bit where he like trips over his own feet mm. and it gets real fucking close <laughs> like, like he goes down on one knee for a second and it looks hairy um and uh yeah i guess they everyone on set kind of fell in love with this gag such that they they found ways to make it longer <laughs> like, like they were just like man we need more of that boulder and i'm sure harrison ford was like ah shit, shit. Like, <laughs> gotta ice up 
My knees. <laughs> uh, uh, but yes, he gets out, and of course the natives are there, uh, basically surrounding him. With I think the other the the other guy did the other guy die that was with Molina? Uh, no, he he got disarmed. Okay, and then he ran away. He ran away. But then but then he reappears here. Yes. <laughs> and this is for a second. <laughs> this is where we're introduced to Belloc. Uh, Paul Freeman, and he is the competing. I guess he's an archaeologist as well, but he's the you know he's the Carrie Elway's uh, storm chaser. Like he's the one with uh, corporate funding, or he has a, a backing of some kind. I could not have put it better myself. <laughs> per- perfect pitch, perfect example. Yes, he he is the Carrie Elway's of Jonas of archaeologist. Yeah. yeah, he is the Jonas. He is the Jonas of archaeologist. Of, <laughs> I, I meant he's in it for the money, money not the science. <laughs> um, uh, but there's a, a a little Spielbergism here that I don't know if you've ever noticed in any other film. I've noticed it in the movie Hook, where we have uh, uh, Andy goes for his gun. Belloc's like. Uh, he drops the gun. He gives him the thing. A uh, Belloc says something in their native language, and they're super excited. And they go to chase after Indy because he takes off running. And Belloc is laughing, and that laugh uh, carries over to the the natives uh, chasing Indy. So in Hook, there's something similar where Hook starts laughing, and the hook and the laugh carries under the next scene, and it's the Lost Boys training uh, um, uh, Robin Williams. I don't know. It's just it's it, two Spielberg movies where we have just this laugh laugh cut of the villain basically going into um, the good guy doing something. Well, that that's the really interesting thing about filmmaking is that it's it's very much like at least mainstream like Hollywood filmmaking is that you get tons of people seeing your product. But one thing that a lot of artists tend to do, at least the ones that aren't you know obsessed with not doing it, uh, is reiterating things like mm-hmm. like taking another stab at something they did before um and spielberg would be the first one to admit that yeah I, i'd done that before I'm, i just wanted to take another stab at it so mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if he remembered that that trick in the editing room and he's like you know it would work really well here that thing i did back in 81 let's do it it works i actually it's a nice little it, it's it's not much, even a transition really but it just kind of sets the tone that belloc is not the good guy yeah, no, it really hammers home the point that Belloc's, Belloc sucks. Yeah. Like, you're really not supposed to like him. And and in his introduction, like he has a couple of minutes of screen time here. It's spelled out so so explicitly that he's, in very subtle ways, that he's the bad guy. Like when he's introduced, uh, that guy who ran away into the jungle, uh, Indy has escaped from the temple here. And he's just like sitting on the on the jungle floor, surrounded by natives pointing bows and arrows at him. And this guy is just like standing there, and then he collapses on his face, and we see that oh my god, he is riddled with all the arrows. Yeah. Three da- <laughs> three darts is too much. Yeah, he is. He... <laughs> yeah, no, he they they made a porcupine out of this man. Yes. he is very dead. Um, but yeah, Belloc disarms him and then taunts him by. I forget exactly the way he phrases it, but um, basically he takes his gun and the idol from him because what's Indy going to do? He has a hundred bows and arrows pointed at him at this point, but he tells him um, there's nothing which you can possess that I cannot take away. Yeah. And that, that is the character to a T. Well, yeah, that, that, that carries through throughout the entire film. Here, uh, Indiana Jones always beats the bad guy to the thing that he, that they're trying to get. But they almost always take it from him, and he has to always try to get it back. That is a constant. Yeah, and, and this is where I think, like, 
loose concepts of like fair play and stuff thing things that every audience member has within themselves this is where spielberg is so good at playing to his audience where it's like well that's just not fair it's like i don't like him he's breaking the rules it's like there are no rules they're in the jungle that man has a hundred poison darts in his ass like what are you talking about but as a viewer of the film you know you you can't help but project these things but yeah point is belloc through underhanded means did none of the work and is now reaping all the benefits much like john levitz and the wedding singer <laughs> uh, we are an hour in and we haven't even got past the opening scene <laughs> um but yeah belloc obviously has the hovitos in tow and he again taunts indiana jones by pointing out like you know you could have had this advantage if only you spoke the language and he demonstrates his mastery of the local dialect by holding the idol up and having all the natives go prostrate and stuff uh, i love i love the signal uh, to go kill indy by the way i i do this with my friend every time i see him <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> like we'll see some asshole that we know in town or something and just at a distance we'll just look at each other and, go, <laughs> and then yeah he has his maniacal laugh and then uh we get our first uh, instance of harrison ford and his lovely singing voice and what i mean by that is harrison ford has he has the best angry yells like like i i just love hearing him yell at people in frustration it's yeah. delightful yeah jack jack stop the engines yeah. <laughs> joey turn it off joey. <laughs> no it, it's so awesome to hear him yell at people and yeah he, he comes over the crest of this hill and he's running for the plane meanwhile uh, his pilot is Fishing. trying to decide whether or not to keep fishing or start the engine yeah. it's a lovely little detail but yeah he's he's running down the cell and you just hear Harrison Ford go Jack start the engines yeah. it's fucking great but yeah long story short he escapes via plane and then we have one little bit of character building that happens in the plane and that would be him hopping into one of the seats and discovering a python in his lap and after all the business with the spiders, after seeing a semi-gelatinous corpse uh, impaled on a series of spears, uh, after seeing a man riddled with arrows, none of that rattled Indy at all. But the one thing he cannot tolerate is snakes. I hate snakes, Jack! I hate them! <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense, though, because when he is in the literal snake pit, he does just fine. Actually, Marion has a tougher time with the snakes than he does. He handles it in a very manly way, mm-hmm. and and it, like I'll, I'll explain that when we get to it. But my my girlfriend had a good laugh at that, where it's like oh, that's kind of that's that's one way of handling that. Um, but yeah, uh, then we get to see him in his his actual nine to five, yeah. his actual daily routine. And Kyle, uh, this is Professor Jones. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is another semi iconic sequence, if if only for the the eyelid. Yeah. Message. Uh, no, he um, he is the reason why there are rules against um, uh, teachers having sex with students because I think they saw him as a professor. Like we got to make a rule because this is not going to go over well. And I do like how they introduced uh, him doing this class, and you have mostly women in the class, but you also have some some guys. But all the women are just like, 
just in a, in in a daze just at how dreamy he is uh just on their on their hands just watching him teach i don't think they're taking in anything um but yes we do get the very comical uh this girl is just looking at him and she closes her eyelids and he's like there's something on there and she's like oh you didn't see it and she closes up longer and it says love you on her eyelids which is which is nice it's like uh class dismissed um <laughs> But yeah, meanwhile, uh, Brody just kind of makes his way in, and uh, this is where we uh, he tells Brody about what happened. Like, listen, Belloc got there, but I did get some other pieces, and we look, we learn like what his motivation is. He's trying to get things, I guess, for the museum, and he does actually get compensated for the things that he donates to the museum. We learn, but I don't think it's anything substantial. Yeah, no, that was my understanding as well. Um, but yeah, this is where we're also introduced to Marcus. By the way, there is a deleted scene of a young female student uh, asking to see him after class. Of course. And, and there's a reason that's on the cutting room floor, because we don't need to make suggestions about that sort of thing, uh, even even in 1981. I'm, picture, I'm picturing it's like a member of Motley Crue in their heyday after one of them gets married. It's just like, oh, God, dude, I can't, I can't, I can't be alone. <laughs> <laughs> I just like look at Marcus and be like, "Help! Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't I fight him help. off." <laughs> yeah, it's just Marcus. Just it's like pull me out. Leonardo DiCaprio after Titanic. It's just he, he's just it's just swarms. Oh yeah, it's just just, <laughs> just suffocating in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like the end of society or yeah. something. Um, um, I don't think anything really. Just like anything super substantial happens here with this Brody exchange, but uh, next we meet a, a group of fellows that are propositioning him for a job. One of which I had to look up because I'm like, I think I recognize this person. Yes, you do, Kyle. He's been on the show. Hootkins, <laughs> William Hootkins, Hootkins, <laughs> William Hootkins, uh, who of course played Jack Porkins in Star Wars: A New Hope, uh, aka I got a problem here. And is it Eckhart in Batman and 89? Eckhart from yeah. Batman 89. And uh, the one episode of Catching Up on Cinema in which William Hootkins uh, was featured was uh, Death Machine. Mm, yes. Uh, which is not which is not. Oh, I forgot film, about that. No, it's not. But uh, he does have some fun in there. Um, but yeah, William Hootkins, uh, um, is, who is always welcome. Um, this is where we learned that, uh, that I guess it was... Indy's mentor or his professor was Professor Ravenwood, who is since missing, uh, who's missing right now, and also the Nazis have found Tannis. Yeah, this is where the uh, the James Bond comparisons come full circle, kind of like this is where it's like explicitly laid out to us that it's like ah, this this was thought of as a potential like Bond parallel to some extent, like an American Bond, if you will. In fact, around this time, uh, Spielberg was considering like throwing his hat in in like the arena for being a potential Bond director. But oh, I'd watch that a hundred percent. No, everybody would watch that. I would fucking watch that. Uh-huh. But um, I do it but now. At even the, <laughs> at the time, uh, the Bond franchise was I wouldn't say floundering, but uh, as far as I understand, like that that franchise has always been like very closely knit very they've been very the Broccoli family uh and eon productions have always been very protective of it and as far as i understand the directing gigs were very exclusive mm. it's like you had to be part of the club uh to get the reins of a bond yeah. film at the time and and him also being an american on top of that yeah. probably didn't do him any favors it was weird in the michael uh oh gosh roger moore or was this we were t- still in the roger moore yeah. era timothy uh, dalton was he, later 80s wasn't he 
Yeah, uh, Moore, I think, was until 85. Okay. Um, Dalton was the late 80s, which uh, I should write an essay on this shit. Um, Dalton was the right guy at the wrong time, because mm. uh, the late 80s were the Schwarzenegger and the Stallone and the Willis era of action cinema, and the international audiences weren't exactly interested in seeing Timothy Dalton with his prim and proper British accent running around a tuxedo. Like there's a reason why license to kill is essentially a leftover lethal weapon script complete with no less than two actors from lethal weapon in it, as well as the composer of Die Hard. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, it's like very clearly bond is like gotten to the point where it's imitating other action films as opposed to setting the standards. Mm. Um, so that that was like a really dark time for that franchise. But um, what I mean by the the Bond connection here is this is this is the meeting with M. Uh, mm-hmm. This is where James Bond meets with M and gets his mission briefing. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what the scene is: is two government men, two G men, uh, come to visit Doctor Henry Jones, um, archaeologist. Uh, <laughs> was it acquirer of uh, rare antiquities? Yes, um, as Hootkins puts it. Um, and yeah, they spell it out to him that uh, a former associate of his, a mentor figure, uh, Professor Ravenwood, uh, has been mentioned in some German communiques. Uh, so the American spy network has apparently been keeping tabs on the, the Nazis in 1936, which seems a little early. But um, point is, they're mentioning this Professor Ravenwood. And uh, also they mentioned Tannis, which, uh, as Kyle had alluded, um, is supposed to be a ancient city where the Ark of the Covenant was housed at yes. one point. Um, and uh, my girlfriend actually perked up quite a bit during this scene because uh, she she noticed, and I was really happy to see her like pay attention to the character work, that like when when Indiana Jones is in his element, like be it punching Nazis or talking about this kind of stuff, oh, he lights the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like, like he turns into like a he, giddy as a schoolboy, as, uh, as uh, Allison Duty would say in uh, Last Crusade. Um, yeah, when he's explaining to them uh, the history of the Ark of the Covenant and the city of Tanis and all these, all this minutia that nobody else in the room can give two shits about, like he's he's so animated and, and like it's that and uh, the very first thing we see of him in the classroom spelling on the chalkboard, he he, he has to take a minute to spell yeah. Neolithic. It's stuff like that that like makes you want to believe that he's a good teacher on mm. top of being a good Nazi puncher. Um, but yeah, this briefing sequence is is pretty cool. It, it kind of spells out what will essentially be the plot of our film, while also giving us just enough historical background. Like I I didn't know anything about the arc uh, coming into this movie. Did you, Kyle? Yes, um, from uh, from Sunday school. Um, I remember he even has that line in the movie. Like, yeah. Hey, you guys go to Sunday school? <laughs> it's been a long time. I believe what it was. I don't remember why, uh, like who, why it was built, but I remember, I think the key thing was if you looked at it or touched it, I think if you touched it, you would die. That was the thing. It's like, if you touched the Ark of the Covenant, you would drop dead. It was if it was, uh, you weren't supposed to look at Sodom and Gomorrah burning cause Lot's wife turned around and looked at the burning city and she turned to a pillar of salt uh, but yeah, I think the Ark was, you're not supposed to touch it. But at the end, when the Ark is destroying Nazis, he says, don't look at it, Marion. So I think it might be, don't look at it also, but I'm not positive. I, I did a couple of seconds of research again, because my, my girlfriend with her logic brain, um, that was one objection she had was like, why, why does he know not to look at it? And my, because she's absolutely right. 
it's never explicitly stated in the movie why he would why he would suggest that why he would know that um it's not terribly important to the narrative but it is something that is omitted um a, there are there is a deleted scene wherein uh the fella that handles the medallion that translates the medallion for them uh does explicitly state you cannot touch it you cannot look at it um but that was cut from the film so that's mm-hmm. deleted content um, but then there there are Bible passages which do make allusions to both of those being no-nos, uh, neither touch nor look. So I guess you could assume that being as he's a good professor, uh, he would he would know those things. But that doesn't explain why Belloc wouldn't know those things or or would disregard them. Um, and I the story might change from the Bible uh to like islam teachings i'm not entirely sure i think i think it is in both but i'm not positive on that yeah uh point is it's not explicitly it's not explicitly stated in the film but it it's immaterial it doesn't really matter man (laughs) it's like it's still an awesome fucking movie but um yeah point is indy is very enthusiastic about this uh, because all signs point to this conversation leading to these g-men um basically financing an expedition on his part to recover the ark of the covenant like Mm -hmm. first first leg of the journey is locate ravenwood yeah because for some reason the nazis want him and we as americans can't have that regardless of for what purpose it might be we just can't have them getting things that we have exactly um so we're not quite on the on the track to getting the ark but the first leg of the journey is to track down marcus but before we do that i really like the the scene right before we get on the plane it's just between him and marcus mm. at a at indy's house uh they have some liquor um a girlfriend pointed out that indy's uh smoking jacket is pimplicious like <laughs> like he he is uh he is uh decked out in in a bitchin smoking jacket mm. I didn't like, very that. casual indiana jones but um so it's, it's just a neat it's a very brief scene but it's very neat just seeing marcus kind of hint that like the arc's a little different from golden statues in the jungle. Like, mm-hmm. like I think this is a escalation. Like you might want to be careful. And Indy tries to like play it off. Like, yeah, it's same as always. And um, I did like that. He, he, uh, <laughs> he has a line like, you know, you know how, what a cautious fella I am. And he's like unraveling a revolver and throwing it into his, into his luggage as he's telling him that it's well, like, yeah, I, I fully expect to have to kill a man. <laughs> oh, I mean, we do establish in this film that, I mean, it doesn't really come up in the second one, but in the third one, like, Christianity's real. Like, this is this is a real thing, uh, especially at the end of this film. Or at least some kind of Bible thing is real. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, at this at this point in the chronology, it's, it's not quite there yet. Um, but point is, Marcus is trying to instill in him that it's like, yeah, he might want to be doubly careful, careful this yeah. time out yeah like you barely got away alive last time and, th- and that was kind of a shit show like uh, he, alfred molina and a backpack <laughs> like what kind of what kind of clown shoes operation is this you're running indy <laughs> um oh. but yeah he hops on the plane and we get the first of our very very traditional now uh indiana jones traveling sequences oh yeah uh, so peter jackson has his helicopter shots of new zealand mm-hmm. of uh, people running know, traipsing around running running usually running very running. seldom horses but usually yes i just marathoned that that series like a couple of months ago and i already want to watch it again just because you said that god damn it jesus you got a problem guy mm-hmm. <laughs> yep um but yeah peter jackson 
has his running montages of uh, helicopter shots of the New Zealand uh, beautiful landscapes and whatnot. And Indiana Jones has his uh, map map sequences mm-hmm. where the red line goes across the map. And uh, it, the Indiana Jones, the Raiders March plays over this. It's one of the single most iconic pieces of music in American film history. It's wonderful. I, I, this is one that my uh, girlfriend and I will just be walking into the grocery store and I'll start and we'll both just play it through. Yeah, well, it, it's if I was to associate a piece of like a word with a piece of music, adventure. Yeah, like it, it is adventure defined, like through through auditory senses. Haven't looked at the, haven't looked at the IMDb. Is this uh, John Williams or who? who did yes. This? Yeah. Okay. Thought so. Absolutely. No. Absolutely, John Williams. Spielberg. Uh, George Lucas. I'm gonna say it's John Williams. I did this. <laughs> No, it's Trent Reznor, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Trent. It was Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Indy, Indy 5, I don't know. I, I hope it's John Williams, although, um, I don't know, man. He recycled a little more content for uh, the Rise of Skywalker than I was comfortable with. Oh. Um, that was a, that was actually kind of upsetting to me, how, how many iconic tracks were recycled for that film because that's expected it's star wars there's certain melodies that you're not going to get away from like mm-hmm. anything even hinting at a luke skywalker is is going to have you know the the two sons yeah. uh, music mm-hmm. you know, it's, you're going to oh, yeah. have that melody for sure um and same with the opening crawl and stuff but it got a little excessive in that one it's like i don't know man like i don't know if you still got the juice i hope so uh because i can't i can't picture in indiana jones product not having harrison ford and not having john williams but um yeah this is very much johnny johnny williams like peak peak powers man. Yeah. like he just coming off of empire harrison ford was also just coming off of empire mm-hmm. um and at this point john williams also had jaws and superman and star wars under his belt he was he was rocking it yeah <laughs> like you talk about leonardo dicaprio swimming in it same with John Williams. John Williams was <laughs> buying Malibu. He was buying beachfront property in Malibu, uh, basically at this point. He was eating Hagen Dazs with his Oscars <laughs> as a spoon. <laughs> he was doing Stanley Cup shit with his Oscar trophies. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. But yes, we're uh, we're heading off to Nepal. Um, we're meeting uh, Marion now. I do like this being introduced to this character like this. Uh, now, I wanted to tell you about this drinking contest we're doing. Now, we're doing shot for shot. Marion, uh, played by Karen Allen, weighs about 100 pounds, maybe 103. Uh, she's a tiny little thing. And she is in a drinking uh, competition with what I read was an Australian mountaineer who weighs about 280 in this movie. So tolerance aside this guy could probably knock a few back but i love the drinking faces here um you've never been this drunk before i have um (laughs) and there's a wall that you generally hit uh where you're just like i'm super drunk and if i take a sip of beer i think i might throw up like you just you guzzle up into a point to where you the thought of having another drink is just awful. They are at this point and they are doing shots and I could feel the pain. <laughs> they were, this guy doesn't even knock back the shot. So they're generally what you do with a shot Trevor is it's knock it back one gulp. This guy takes gulp 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 gulp. So 
that's awful. You want to get it back as fast as possible. So I'm like, this guy, I was watching this this time. I'm like, oh God, he's going to puke. Like, <laughs> he's going to puke. He's going to puke. <laughs> yeah, I uh, really felt for this character. It, yeah. Uh, th- this scene is lovely. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a wonderful introduction to the character because it's this is your leading lady being yeah. introduced to you in Nepal in a <laughs> in a shot contest with a person who looks like they got stung by all the bees yeah. um, who outweighs her by threefold um and yeah just the 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 blocking of the scene like like the way the way that guy takes the shot like he's like he's like snaking his fingers across all the other like the landscape of shot glasses where he, he can't do anything straight everything has a wobble to it yeah so he has to like find the glass um but then like my brother always pointed that this out to me like we go back and forth so marion takes a shot and it's my understanding she was playing this up to to up the ante on the bets yes we have a crowd we have a crowd and this is her bar Uh, so they play by her rules and my girlfriend did point that out that's like she didn't take the last shot it's like you're about to find out it's literally her bar it's her rules (laughs) and the other person's dead on the floor (laughs) but um they go back and forth trading shots and then the expression on this guy's face when he falls backwards he's just like yeah <laughs> he just, just says he look he oh he looks like uh my brother Vito from die hard 2 mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> merry <guy>. christmas merry christmas. <laughs> <laughs> christmas he's got that he's got that big shit eating grin but he just like falls backwards and then uh marion wins the bet and uh she clears everyone out because i guess it's closing time and uh indy walks in through and, shadow uh, i love yeah. the in- yeah I love the introduction. This was some good filmmaking shit where uh, the way Indy is introduced to the scene is she's cleaning up and she's just kind of got her hands on her head and she's got a couple of glasses and uh, she's facing away and we just see his silhouette uh, superimposed on the wall. He's like, hey, Marion. And she's like, ah, fuck. (laughs) I know who that is. (laughs) I I like uh, the way this kind of plays out because it feels like an old movie, like a 1940s movie. She's like, I remember what you did to me. I've never forgotten. I'll never forgive you for it. It's never gonna happen. And uh, instead of getting a smack, she just full-on punches him in the face. Like, I've only seen this, like, one or two other times. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's definitely gonna punch him. I can see it coming. Like, she's definitely gonna clock him. Um, but, yeah. I, uh, love the, I love the expression he makes when she hits him, too. He's He looks, like, so hurt. Yeah. Like, not phys- not so much physically, just, like, emotionally. Like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> like I didn't realize I, I didn't realize it did that wrong. I do, like, she's like... <laughs> I can't believe what you did to me. I was just a child. I'm like, wait. I was like taking notes. Like, wait, what? <laughs> what happened here? Yeah, uh, that that was something that again, girlfriend pointed out that like they never actually explain what happened between them. Yeah. It's never laid out. But the, that line, it's like, hang on, what now? <laughs> like, how old? When? Well, I mean, <laughs> apparently it was his professor. So professor's daughter, daughter's like just graduated high school about to go to college he's you know getting out of college yeah i could see it i could see that happening it's my understanding that she was aggressively pursuing him and regardless of what came from that uh her father wasn't particularly happy about whatever transpired actually point point is like it sounds like she was coming after indy 
I could see that, yeah. Uh, also, 1936, it could have been in high school, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure, but there's a there's probably a reason we, we just gloss over yeah, it. Let's gloss over that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, how about them Nazis? Yeah. So, this is where he propositions her. He's like, hey, listen, uh, your dad had this medallion thing. I need it. I'll give you some money for it, but I'm, I'm going to need this medallion, basically. And she's like, yeah, come back tomorrow. We'll, we'll see about that yeah i don't want to bog us down but uh this sequence was really fun to watch on the on the bonus features on the blu-ray uh because you get to see spielberg do some directing shit like get really into into the thick of it with his actors and it was really fascinating because this is this is stuff that i always like to take note of is like part of being a director is being able to read read people to some extent because people are motivated by different things um and what's his face uh on the set of the exorcist infamously like slugged one of his actors in the face to get him to cry um, that's one way of motivating someone to get the proper emotionality on the screen not sure. not advocating it i'm just saying it's an approach and then you as a director that's that's part of your role is being able to figure out how to guide people to where they need to be in order to make the film as a whole work um, it was really interesting seeing Spielberg work with Karen Allen and work with Harrison Ford because Harrison Ford is just coming off of Empire. Uh, he's he was described by Carrie Fisher herself on the set of Star Wars as big man on campus. Like he was he was swinging dick. Like, mm-hmm. like there's a reason why Han Solo doesn't move that fast most of the time. It's because his, his Johnson is knocking around between <laughs> his thighs, and that shit's hard to negotiate, man. Physics physics is a bitch. He's got lower back um, problems. Yeah, you know, his center of gravity is all out of whack, um, or at least he acts like it. But um, Harrison Ford, it seems like, based on based on what I've seen between him and Spielberg, is like he's heavily motivated by logic. Like, like he he really likes to know why the characters make the decisions they make, why they and and why why the blocking is done the way it's done. Like he he needs to be given a reason as to why characters would do certain things, and if he disagrees with it, then he pushes back. And Karen Allen had a stage acting background. I think this was also her first film, uh, so she was lacking in confidence. Animal House. Oh yeah, Animal House. That's right. But point is, she was lacking in confidence. So you could see that Spielberg was not necessarily holding her hand, but being very very positive and making her feel that her decision making was very wise and and that she was conveying what she wanted to convey and she was also giving her a lot of wiggle room to to play and have fun with with like the concepts behind the blocking and stuff and it was just really interesting seeing how the scene came together because this this whole sequence was shot on a sound stage and uh clearly they had a lot more time to figure things out uh, than they did with some other scenes but um yeah indy's here because he wants this medallion uh that her father had and by the way he he learns here that uh her father abner uh has died and he's very apologetic about it um and then she kind of plays around with him a little bit because she's she's both happy and mad to see him and he offers her like three thousand bucks and she counters with five thousand bucks for this medallion and she's like yeah come back tomorrow and his 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 response is like why and she's like just because like, also fuck off. 1936 five thousand dollars that's, that's like a fucking house i think yeah for real um but yeah he he leaves um and then we see that like she lied she said she didn't know where it was and 
medallion's like right there. It's like she just has it like right there. Um, and then we finally get the Nazis, Kyle. Yes, uh, they come. They come a calling. Yeah, this is where she's got like a real punky Brewster attitude. Like, hey man, this is my place. You can't be doing stuff like that in here. And uh, I'm like, if there's a five foot blonde man with glasses and a black trench coat that just makes his way into your business in the 30s or 40s, that's a Nazi. Listen to what he has to say because they will not ask questions. <laughs> They're just going to do what they want. Uh, inflation calculator says $5,000 in 1936, $98,000. That's insane. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thanks for looking that up. Like, yeah. I had no idea it was that much. A hundred grand. She's basically asking for a hundred grand. <laughs> Damn. Uh and also, she's living in Nepal. It probably went even further. <laughs> she could retire on that, basically. Yeah, and it's in a, she could she could own the whole country. Yeah, I don't know where she's at, but it looks like she's kind of like like where that that little village is at the bottom of the mountain in uh, Batman Begins. I feel like that's where she's got the bar at. <laughs> I will tell him you saved his life. Yes. Uh, but yes. <laughs> She's got a bunch of those blue flowers in the back. <laughs> this scene is pretty fun. I, I like how this all plays out. Uh, but yeah, the Nazis are basically like, you're going to tell us where the thing is that we need, or we're going to basically burn you with this poker. And obviously, Indiana comes in to save the day. Um, he gets into a fight with the uh, with the with the Nazis here. Um, he ends up. I forgot what he uses to, like, there's a fire that started, because I think of the poker. Um, but uh, Meanwhile, uh, Marion has put the medallion, or whatever it is, on a weird, like, whittled sculpture that's on yeah, one of the it, tables. Yeah, it's like, imagine a, a bonsai tree, but without any leaves. Yeah. It, it's kind of like a shaved bonsai. Yeah. And it's just in the middle of a table, for some reason. She just <laughs> sets that there. Um, but yes, yeah, so we get um, the this fight where... Indy ends up setting a dude on fire, and the guy is still coming after him, so he shoots the dude in the head. Like, just straight-up headshot. And it's not like, oh, he gets shot in the head and falls down. We hold, and we get to see the blood coming down his face. I'm like, jeez, no, guys. We, we get a full-on, like, like hydraulic pump blood spurt. Yeah. Like, like there, there is spray Goo. out of his forehead. Like, yeah. <laughs> Goo! Goo! <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Spielberg was and probably still is a fan of akira kurosawa and uh you know the arterial spray in uh in samurai movies is (laughs) is a thing so um yeah this is especially juicy maybe the first headshot i've seen in cinematic history um it's fucking awesome Mm -hmm. and by the way i think this guy has uh fake asian eyelids painted on oh jesus um it looks really bad on the blu-ray where it's like i don't think that's the way that man's face is structured (laughs) (laughs) i don't think think that man is asian yeah i i don't i think there's some tape and there's some latex on that guy's eyelids i mean honestly trevor it was not unheard of at the time uh i I mean as evidenced by one other person in this scene by the way (laughs) i do love uh like so her bars getting just smashed and you know shot at i do like how there's a hole in one of her beer barrels and she gets a good she gets her mouth under there gets a good guzzle of it which is pretty pretty nice no that that's a lovely detail it 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 works beautifully everybody gets a chuckle out of that that's that's like one of those small things that's like if if you cut that out like i would miss it quite a bit but um, the choreography of this scene is awesome. Like this is Spielberg in his element. He's he's so good at doing the Jackie Chan thing of of surveying the room 
and trusting his stunt coordinators to like make to to use every part of the landscape to to make use of everything in the room um because like we get wall squibs we get people getting shot in the fucking face yeah (laughs) that's a man on fire um, I love the bit where the guy gets hit on the head with the log because mm-hmm. um, his facial expression goes from like joyful glee to just like <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we we even get like some artistic stuff in the form of a man being shot in silhouette where like he gets shot but we only see his shadow crumble to the floor what's the significance of the Nazi burning his hand because it comes up later I don't I'm, that's I'm, very important actually that's incredibly important why um, well for one it's just fun because yeah. uh, it's a nazi getting burned that, by the way that character's name is tote uh played by ronald lacy uh he's a very very memorable figure if only yes. for his ultimate fate at the end of the film but also it's just a really good villainous performance mm-hmm. he is a slimy bastard like literally physically slimy yeah no he's gross <laughs> looking no he is an eel man yeah. um but yeah, he's threatening to torture Marion with the hot poker, and yeah, you're absolutely right. That was what caused the fire. It was Wendy. Uh, Indy whips the the poker out of his hand. It sets some uh, curtains on fire, um, and then over the course of this gunfight that's going on, Tote reaches down and tries to pick up the medallion barehanded, um, but it's sitting amongst a bunch of flames, and it it burns him. Like it, it burns his palm, and then we get this close up of him screaming into the camera, and then running out like jumping out the window of the bar and dip like dunking his hand in the snow because goddamn that probably hurts a lot um the significance is it's never stated but my understanding was that's how the nazis got the amulet like the medallion was that they took a rubbing of his palm because they say they only have one side of it well they only have one side of he only touched it on one side of his hand. Ah, gotcha. I did not catch and that. At, and he does hold it up to the camera to show that it did imprint pretty cleanly on his hand. Yeah. Um, so that's how they got, got on the wrong track uh, looking for the art. Um, but yeah, this this scene is awesome. Also, it's like very brave how they uh, they let the whole thing play out without any music. Um, but the, the other uh, <laughs> question, character of questionable ethnic origins that I wanted to point out here is... Uh, actor pat roach uh who portrays the the bald nazi that has the fist fight with indiana jones at the plane um he plays two characters in this film uh he's he's the bigger henchman uh who india he has his arms set on fire at one point and indy punches him out and hits him with a chair um and then he appears later on in the film as a nazi and then he also appears in temple of doom as the as the guy that's torturing all the children he's like the the big goon with the turban uh so he's in brown face um, and then he's also apparently in last crusade but i i could not spot him so i'll be on the lookout for him next time but point is he's in all three of these films at least the first three films as four different characters hmm. uh, of three different ethnic origins <laughs> wow that's the mvp of the production um, but yeah, long story short, uh, all the Nazis and the like, the local hired help get killed, um, and now Indy and Marion are united uh, with the medallion. Uh, she basically forces him to take her along because you know her her business got burnt the fuck down, <laughs> and she got no place else to go. <laughs> um, so yeah, they take off to Cairo uh, together. Yeah, and we meet Sala, obviously, uh, who I guess is a local archaeologist who I guess often utilizes uh, dig teams or people for digging out there. So that's kind of our resource guy, I suppose. 
important things from this meeting, there's a monkey who likes eating the food on the table. And there, Sala has like nine kids. Like he has like a crazy amount of kids. Oh yeah, Sala gets busy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's an archaeologist or just like an excavator or something. Maybe an excavator. Uh, but but point is, uh, he's Indy's contact in Cairo, and they're uh, they're uh, they've been long affiliated or something. Um, and currently, uh, he's actually working for the Nazis, mm. uh, searching for the for, for the Ark. Um, but this is also where we get the, mm, they call him Baloch yeah. uh, line, where Indy discovers that the Nazis have also recruited Belloc, Belloc. Uh, to help them locate the Ark. So Indy's none too pleased about that, although he does have a laugh about it. But um, yeah, John Reese davies is a very warm presence in this movie. He's, he kind of serves largely as a comic relief, but like Kyle said, he also uh, serves to explain away a lot of the resources that Indy has at his command mm-hmm. versus like, how did he get all these guys with him? It's like, well, he has Sala. Sala. Sala's the dude. Like he's the dude in Cairo. Yeah. Um, and then I think we're just kind of walking around the streets of Cairo and there's a Cairo Nazi, obviously. <laughs> um, and then th- I was kind of getting bogged down with this, but this was the assassin assassins, uh, the, the assassins shenanigans, which goes on for a while. Yeah, uh, this is where the monkey seeks aisle, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have a Nazi monkey, um, and my girlfriend was very displeased with that. Yeah. Like, oh, the monkey's a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very good spy monkey, by the way. Like, very good at playing to the room. But, um, yeah, this is, I guess, what you call the basket chase sequence. Yeah. Um, basically, it's Indy and Marion uh, kind of catching up, wandering around the streets of Cairo, and uh, there's some very well-dressed nazis and uh, some local hired help uh that just try to jump the two of them and we get a protracted action sequence uh, it's mostly just punches thrown and like some sword fighting here and there yeah um and uh, marion gets like a beat to herself where she clocks a guy with a, a frying pan um and the music's very bouncy and fun it's meant to be a like a, a light shenanigans scene. it's very yeah, shenanigans yeah. is absolutely right. This is low stakes fun. Yeah, I, for I, the most part, I call it assassin shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, and uh, this sequence was filmed in Tunisia, uh, as far as I recall, and uh, same place they filmed uh, large chunks of A New Hope, basically all the Tatooine stuff. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, during the scene when he's threatening to blow up the Ark, that's like literally where the Jawas picked up C three PO and R two D two. Ah, like the exact same location. Um, you can note you can notice the rock formations, but um, yeah, apparently it was like 120, 130 Ugh. degrees or something, and everybody was miserable and everybody got sick. Uh, Spielberg was apparently eating canned food uh, that he imported from England because everyone else was getting stomach flu. Um, oh, and I don't know how true this is, but I remember hearing that uh, one of the single most iconic moments from this movie is the uh, the swordsman sequence. Uh, so basically, Indy is trying to locate Marion because they got separated, um, and then the crowd parts, and there's there's a really big, tall fellow with like a like a big ass sword, like a scimitar, like a fatty scimitar. He's whipping around, doing tricks with it, and then Indy just gives this exasperated look, like I ain't got time for this shit, and he just blasts him with his revolver. And it's this total anticlimax, hilarious comedic bit, utterly iconic, supposedly. The origin for this moment had to do with Harrison Ford nearly shitting his pants and just wanting to get it done. <laughs> because I've seen I've seen the the like 
raw footage of they they choreographed a fight like they choreographed a fight where he's like whipping him like he's he's like swinging his whip at him and like the guy's deflecting it with his sword it was a whole big thing with like props and like other characters involved and stuff they choreographed a big huge fight sequence and this was what ended up in the movie and supposedly it was because harrison ford was about to shit his pants and just wanted to call it a day <laughs> nice yeah, I mean that's, that's a good reason. I mean, that's a good reason. I mean, that's that's a fantastic reason. Uh, John Reese Davies actually owned up to it and said he literally did shit his pants on the set. Well, and he didn't care. I feel like <laughs> if you live in a major city and rely on public transportation, at least once you've had the thought, "What if I was to shit my pants right now? I'm just stranded somewhere with shit pants, and I have to I have to either walk home like this." Or ride public transit like this and risk somebody taking a video of me. Like it's it's a real fear I have. Why do you think I'm such a homebody? Kyle? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> this, this is a thought that enters my mind literally every time I step out the door. Yeah, and <laughs> like, it, also if you live in a major city, uh, you know that bathrooms are not easily accessible if you're out in town. It's actually hard to find. It's really hard, man. It's really no. I'm serious. That's how I plot out my day. It's, it's like I need to know where I'm, where I'm peeing, where I'm shitting. If I, if it comes to that, I need to know. I have a, a go-to spot. I need, I need, a, I need an out. I have, <laughs> I have a couple things. One, if you're near a hotel, generally they'll have bathrooms in the lobby before you go to check in. Nicer hotels, not necessarily shitty ones, but nice hotels do. Second, universities. You can just walk onto universities. Like you don't have to have access cards to get into a lot of buildings, so you can just go in, and there's always a bathroom. I will push back a little on that. UW, uh, actually, I was telling a friend just the other day one one of my most exciting public pees uh, ha- occurred at the UW campus, where literally every door I tried was locked one night. Oh. Like just, I was hanging out at the hub with my friends. I was young. It was the evening. I couldn't get into any building. I tried so many. And I was like, "Fuck it, this is happening." So mm-hmm. I had I had to just unzip oh, it and go. Man, and you know I had no coverage, no coverage. Oh wow! And I got it. I just got it done right quick. I think I had to pinch it, Oof. but it got done. Nobody found me. I didn't have any Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> like I had the exclamation <laughs> points go off. It got done. But yeah, that was one of the most exciting public pees of my life. I it have was because fucking UW shut all of their doors. I have a different UW story. Uh, I decided to go for a long run one day, and uh, so I mean, if you're from Seattle, you know where the stadium is. I was down by the stadium, but my apartment is at the top, very very top of Capitol Hill. So I had ran down that giant hill down 24th, and I was coming up on the stadium, and I don't have my phone with me. I just have my iPod, and it hits me like a ton of bricks. And you, I felt the drop, and it's like, you have to go to the bathroom right now. And I just start running towards the stadium, and I'm like, it's football season. They've got to have porta-potties out. And I get to a line of porta-potties. It's fucking locked. And I'm like, God damn it. So I keep running through the parking lot and I see another batch of them along like uh, like the outskirts, like at the edge of the parking lot, unlocked. Thank you, UW. Thank you so much. You saved my... Because it, like, it was like you were just like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and nothing is going to stop me because I have to go to the bathroom. Well, I mean, th- that deserves to be published in a, a review for that college. Seriously. <laughs> yes. 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 
more people need to know about that. The, the UW has a very generous uh, public urination policy. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we have the iconic basket chase sequence where uh, basically there's this really awesome reveal where uh, Indy is on the hunt for Marion and he gets wise to the fact that she hid in a, a like laundry basket essentially. And then the, the camera's just fixed on his face and then it pulls back and there's this big reveal and the music swells in time with it to reveal an entire crowd full of people carrying identical baskets mm-hmm. and he, he just does the ugly american routine of just like knocking launching himself over. into the crowd and knocking all the baskets over you like get, consequences be damned you get the shit kicked out of you for doing that if you're like dropping clean laundry onto the sand like oh i'd be furious oh no he would he would be stabbed yeah like many times um but no he he survives but uh we see her basket getting loaded into a truck that is conveniently loaded with Acme explosives. Yes. <laughs> like, this is a Wiley Coyote truck. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Indy shoots the driver, and the truck flips. And apparently this was the last shot of the film, uh, mm. was this truck explosion. Um, and, the yes, the truck explodes into a big fireball, and uh, Indy is none too happy about it because he's under the impression, as are we, the viewer, that uh, Marion was in there. Um, and then we get the one example of Indy, uh, Indy's like proposed drinking problem. Uh, basically, he's hitting the booze because he's he's depressed. His 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 lady love is uh, gone up in flames, and so he's hanging out with the Nazi monkey. He's not aware that's a Nazi, but yeah. <laughs> he's hitting the booze. And then uh, we get what I think Kyle was explaining to me was maybe Belloc's least effective scene in the film. Yeah, it's because this scene doesn't make any sense. So. Um, I guess uh, we hear like a, a guy with a German accent is like, you need to come with us now, Dr. Jones. And it's like, oh, fucking Cairo Nazis there. And they just kind of like, he takes his bottle of booze with the monkey and he goes into this cafe with just a bunch of dudes sitting there. And he's not, he's not wise to the fact that, uh, that uh, Belloc is just sitting at the table, like out of his peripheral vision. Um, and then he sits at the table with Belloc and he doesn't look at him. Did you notice the blocking in this where... Yeah, yeah. Belloc is basically just sitting there drinking and talking, and Indy does not look at him at all. He just kind of sits there. Um, yeah, and it's just like you're gonna give us the thing that we need, or something or other. Or we're gonna kill you, or I'm not really sure. I wasn't paying attention uh, because I I know how the movie plays out. Um, but this is where the kids come in and save him real quick. Uh, but this this is so weird. It's like they have him. And this entire cafe is filled with local dudes who are armed to the teeth. And these kids just kind of pull him out. And then the dudes in the, the cafe think it's really funny that the kids, like, saved him. And they just let him go. I'm like, just run up and clock him in the head. Like, you can, you can drag him away. Like, they just legit let him go. I think I think the idea is they're they're paid, but they're not that well paid. Gotcha. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of like, you know, whatever. It's yeah. Like, like shows over folks but yeah it it doesn't really culminate into much it's more just an excuse to give belloc more of a presence in the film which i understand because nothing that's said here is terribly important it's nothing that we couldn't infer like on our own just based on what we know of the characters but it does give belloc an additional scene in the film which i i do feel there would be an absence felt if we didn't have here um but it is it is kind of a clunky scene if i'm being absolutely honest mm. Um, but the scene that follows is absolutely important. And this is uh, where I said there was deleted content in the form of uh, perhaps a man I know. Uh, 
they go to Sala's buddy's house, uh, who can read the inscriptions on Marion's medallion, and they have him explain what it says on it. And uh, he says it should be uh, six kadam high, but then the medallion has two sides to it. And Indy and Sala are aware of the fact that the Nazis only have one side of that. So they're aware of the six kadam. I don't know what a kadam is, but it, apparently it's some form of measurement. But the other side of the medallion says, and take back one kadam to honor the Hebrew god. Uh, so the point is, Belloc and the Nazis are using a staff in the map room, which is only referenced verbally at this point in the film. Uh, they're using the staff there, but it's, uh, too, sh it's too long. Uh, so they're both excited, and uh, we get... We get Sala's ha ha ha, yeah. <laughs> which is some, which is something I catch myself doing every once in a while, as well as uh, uh, he he sings a lot of musical th uh, theater uh, tunes uh, throughout his presence in these films. Mm. Uh, he sings a couple of tracks in this one, um, and then we get the uh, the bad dates mm -hmm. uh, sequence uh, because during this meeting, uh, the local assassin, I guess, the local spy with the eye patch, the owner of the monkey. Uh, stepped into the room and poured poison all over a plate of dates uh, that Indy and Sala are preparing to enjoy. Um, fortunately, Sala sees that uh, the spy monkey, the Nazi monkey, uh, died as a result of eating one of the dates. So he catches a date before uh, Indy can throw it into his own mouth. And we have that utterly iconic line of, bad dates. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg does not like monkeys because uh, he kills the monkey in this movie. And then we have monkey brains in the second movie. I don't think there's a monkey in the third one, but there's definitely monkeys in the fourth one, and I don't know if they die, but <laughs> I can see you shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, I, just the fact that you said so, monkeys plural, yeah, and that not, literally nothing bad happens to them, mm -hmm. it's like yeah. something bad needed to happen to all of those monkeys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the groundhogs on top of that. Um, Did you forget about the groundhogs, Kyle? I, I don't remember a thing. Like Look, a, lucky you, lucky you. There are groundhogs in that movie. Well, I do remember. I do remember also Shia LaBeouf putting his comb in a dude's drink, which is such a shitbag thing to do. Yeah. Do you remember one of the monkeys having Shia LaBeouf's haircut? No. Do you do you remember that? Good for you. No. <laughs> I do not recall. I'm glad. Uh, but yeah. So uh, now Sala and Indy are going to the dig site because now they know they need to go to where. This was really confusing. I don't understand what this little thing is. So they get to this hole where I guess where the medallion has to hit the sunlight at a certain time. And it's going to show them where the arc is hidden. But it's like this little miniature of the, yeah. the city. But it looks contemporary. It doesn't look like it's a preserved, like, uh, like something that was preserved. It looks like brand spanking new that the Nazis put together. So I honestly am like watching the scene. I'm like, did they do that? Or I don't understand. Well, um, it is meant to be ancient. However, the the Nazis did tamper with it. Um, they actually like placed a some some ribbon on it, kind of, or like yarn basically mm. to to mark the location on the map where they should be digging. Uh, so you can see like some there's some props in there that are modern, um, but the model itself is intended to be ancient. Um, yeah, th this map this map room sequence is is really iconic. Um, it's it's a lot of visual storytelling. Not a single word is really uttered here. Um, I did like the building of tension where Sala's just kind of like 
holding like he's standing on lookout and then the nazis see him just hanging out by this hole yeah and they're like yelling at him but uh fortunately they're speaking german which any movie involving the nazis should have them speak german at some point yeah um it's it's just how it's done um they they do it both ways in this where they have a good excuse for the germans who speak english to be speaking english and that's because they're usually speaking to belloc Mm -hmm. um but a lot of the side Nazis, they speak German. But yeah, they're just like shouting at Sala. And he's like, I don't even fucking know what you're talking about. But uh, uh, uh. So we keep cutting back and forth between Indy uh, doing the map room gig. And just the building of the music and uh, just the image of him holding the staff and the beam coming out of the medallion. It, it's As a little kid, it resonated a lot with me. It's like I didn't entirely understand what was going on. Um, but I, I get it now. Like It doesn't confuse me at all. It, I still found it confusing because I was just like, oh, what's he measuring here? How does, oh, like, this scene concludes, I'm like, okay, what did he get from that? Like, I don't understand how he got anything. Like, like you said, internally, yeah, he's like, oh, now I know where it's at. But I don't know, it was just, it was confusing to me. They they go to some lengths to demonstrate that he's, like, actually carefully logging this information. Like, yeah. you see him yeah. pull out, like, a pocketbook and he has some form of measurement, like like a tape measure or oh, yeah. something with him they tell us yeah it's making sense to indy but it just it's not really translated to us how he's putting like exactly how he's putting this all together but he just puts it together yeah and then he later on we see him using like some sort of monocular device to like measure the topography or something um so it it's all communicated visually they they really don't get too bogged down on it point is the character knows what he's doing so you should just go along with it yeah yeah um but after he gets what he needs, uh, on his way out, he runs into Marion. Uh, surprise. Yeah. Uh, I can't I can't hear that word without hearing Robin Williams. Like, <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. A surprise. <laughs> him uh, him uh, at the finale of Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, surprise. Yeah. Yeah, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> like, every time I hear that word, I always, I, I always have, I associate that image with that word. Gotcha, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Surprise. Uh, but... <laughs> But yeah, he runs into Marion, and uh, surprise, surprise, she's alive. And we have a funny moment here where he's like, I'm so happy to see you. I'm going to give you a big smooch. Oh, but I can't save yeah. you right now. <laughs> I do like I do like him like, like getting ready to cut her out, and he's just like, oh, sorry. Nope, I have to keep you in here. She's like, god damn it, no. Like, get me out of here, obviously. Uh, but he's like, yeah, if, they, if you're missing, they're going to know that I'm around here, and they'll be, like, searching for you. Also it's interesting that this whole time, like Indy's just kind of like walking around one because none of the workers are going to know who he is. He's just some dude. The Nazis aren't really going to know who he is. They're not really going to look at him too closely. The only person that's really going to notice him are a couple of the head Nazis and Belog. If he can just keep clear of them, he's fine. But the digging. So once he, uh, uh, they start digging for the, uh, arc, the, the Nepal Nazi, the one that got his hand burned shows up. But uh, they start digging for the Ark at nighttime in this location that's not part of where they're supposed to be digging. So I feel like Belloc would be like, why are they digging over there? Like, they're not, our manpower needs to be focused on the places that I say to look for, and that's not one of them. Yeah, I I misremembered this, actually. I just assumed they didn't start digging until the night. Um, but no, they, they absolutely start during the daytime. Like we, we break ground during the daytime and absolutely somebody would notice. Somebody would notice that at, 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 uh, at nighttime, like, like going into the evening, notice it at night when they've got lights and the rest of the camp is pretty dark. Someone would be noticed like, Hey, 
Because you know what Nazis do have is people on night watch. <laughs> well, I mean, may, may, they do make the reference to uh, top men. Uh, William Hootkins has that line at the end of the movie. Maybe these are not top Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, like maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe the Africa Corps uh, was not the top caliber of Nazi. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> the uh, what Nazis were trying to accomplish were focused on what's happening at this dig site. This is kind of just a, you know, this is just kind of a this passion. Is a side this hu- is a this side is a side hustle. hustle. Yeah, yeah, 100%. yeah. Hitler was just like, like. Who do we got that's not busy? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, let's put them. Let's put them to task. Like, yeah. Let's let's have them keep busy for a while. Like idle hands, man. Yeah. <laughs> we get our. Uh, we do find the ark, and as we're getting closer, like once we figure out, like we hit something solid, it's like now we got like the storm coming, like some storm clouds and lightning coming. So I was like, oh no, I think we're really close, guys. Yeah, it's very uh, Ten Commandments like. Yeah. Um, complete with questionable blue screen mm-hmm. uh lightning effects and sky uh th- something about the angle of both indie and solid just looks very cartoonish it does like, it, it it's just the weirdest flat angle that like it you can tell they're both standing in the same place just on different days yeah <laughs> like in front of the same screen <laughs> but um yeah uh the the cracking of the the lid uh to the the arcs housing uh the well of souls as they call it um is is pretty cool. Uh, I like how they have the the white air jet out from it, like it's been vacuum sealed for God knows how long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the the supposed jump scare, I guess, of the statue glaring up at them and the lightning. Yeah, uh, illumin- yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's pretty good. <laughs> Sorry, Indy. Why is the floor <laughs> moving, Indy? Uh, <laughs> the snakes. I like the asps. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's one of Sala's better lines. Yeah. But yeah, this is also where we get the snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which, you know, thankfully we had that one moment earlier pointing out that Indy does a lot of things, but uh, snakes, snakes is not one of them. Well, I think maybe uh, Steven Spielberg enjoys terrorizing his actors. Uh, because He does. He does. Uh, I think more so in the third one, because I, I am not fond of rats. Like, I fucking hate rats. And that scene where that poor woman is in the water, like underneath the underneath the boat, and she has just got rats falling through a hole and climbing on her. That's the most ter- like one of the most terrifying things I could possibly think of. And she's just doing it. Yeah, and uh, Kate Capshaw in Temple of Doom gets it pretty fucking bad with the bugs too. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, there's always been that theory that how much of poltergeist was directed by spielberg and how much of it was directed by toby hooper because officially toby hooper's name is on the project but there's a lot of spielberg's dna in that thing i don't i don't know if he directed any of it but so much of it feels like his baby and there's that scene in the swimming pool where there's a woman being accosted by all manner of corpses in in mud water and you know a few scenes later in this film, we get Karen Allen having all sorts of dead bodies thrown at her. Yeah. And by the way, on the bonus features, we see that that was like a whole day of filming. Really? For that, like, 10 seconds of film. <laughs> I wanted so, him... Yes, he, he does enjoy harassing his actors with creepy crawlies. I wanted I wanted that scene to be her, like, just running through all this stuff and, and Andy pulling her, like, quit horsing around. Like, <laughs> get out of there. Quit messing around. Actually, I... I I think there's probably a take of that. <laughs> exactly that. What are you doing? Quit. Stop it. 
Um, <laughs> Quit playing around. Play. Yeah, so Indy makes his way down. Uh, or he's getting ready to make his way down. This is where Belloc and Marion are having their conversation. And uh, she ends up uh, changing into a dress and insists that they have some drinks. And this is the Belloc and Marion drinkings. It's a really great scene. I really like this scene. Apparently, uh, this was invented uh, by these two actors uh, because there was a there was a hole in the script in the form of this dress, and uh, Spielberg gave uh, Karen Allen free reign to come up with a, a scene explaining why she's wearing the dress in the Well of Souls. Why does um, she have to put on the dress? I guess for reasons because she must <laughs> yeah the dress makes yeah i don't understand why the, she has to wear the dress i i think maybe it's an allusion to those those old serials you know like when when guys were guys and gals were gals that kind of horseshit maybe um but point is we got a good scene out of it because uh, there, there's a lot of good subtle acting shit going on here where it's like both the characters have clear agency in, in what they're trying to accomplish here where it's like belloc's being pervy um and on top of that uh we also had that line earlier that like there's nothing which you can acquire that i cannot take away from you Mm -hmm. so he's viewing her as a trophy essentially which also demonstrates him being a shit heel which is good because he's our bad guy um but then we have her trying to like call back to her her uh drinking game from Mm -hmm. from her introduction and trying to drink him under the table and uh grab a knife uh on the sly while she's at it um and yeah just the interplay between the two of them is well executed it doesn't feel like an extraneous scene I, again i would really miss it if it wasn't here and it gives her quite a bit more to do because uh, that's something that in 1981 you know like ladies in action cinema in particular didn't usually have much to do <laughs> yeah uh, so her being able to have a whole scene like an like plotting an escape independent of Indy it was kind of novel for the time um, but meanwhile uh, Indy is descending into the well of souls and we get that really awesome Cobra moment uh, where he he's like rappelling down into into the pit and he he loses his grip on the rope or something and falls onto his chest and the, into the sand and a Cobra springs up and just like hisses at him and they just stare at each other and this is Harrison Ford like doing his lovely expression work so perfectly where he's just he just looks like i'm having a good time <laughs> not nah. <laughs> um but yeah having having the cobra uh stick out from the crowd of snakes was really cool where it's like this is not just an ordinary snake this is one that we the audience can immediately identify as being legitimately dangerous um and it it's a really iconic moment it looks fantastic um but yeah, basically the way the scene plays as we're cutting back and forth between Marion uh, trying to drink Belloc into a stupor and uh, Sala and Indy just like actually discovering the arc. Um, and how did you feel about this? Like, do you feel like it was maybe underwhelming or like, do you feel like more could have happened in this room in the in the Well of Souls? Yeah, this would have been a good, good opportunity for more booby traps, uh, like. This would have been. This is where you really like stretch it out. Like you have this the the two scenes, the Nazi coming in on Belloc and Marion, the drinking scene going on. Meanwhile, Andy's trying to get through booby traps. The difficult part is the two of them trying to lift this super heavy thing between the two of them. Like that's that's the extent of it. It's like wow, it's pretty heavy. And them them actually pulling it out of the hole. 
Um, so yeah, I wish there was just been like booby traps here. It would have been more fun. Yeah, it's a it's an oddly quiet scene. Like there's no dialogue really expressed once they're in there. Um, I feel like maybe it's like an attempt to express reverence or something, where it's like they they both understand that what they're dealing with here is some supernatural shit. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe have a little respect. So like they're they're not chit they're not chit chatting they're not doing like a Michael Bay Transformers thing where they're just like quipping and like Shia LaBeoufing like blah, 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 blah. like they're not doing that they're just like let's just quietly get this done and get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get the reveal of the arc and it's a really awesome prop. Uh, I like the golden light that they bathe it in. It really gives it a sense of grandeur. It looks legitimately weighty and it it looks as cool as it's supposed to. I guess is like if you're going to build an entire movie around a MacGuffin like this, you may as well have it look look the part. Yeah, spared no um, expense. And also, like, they, they don't touch it here, which, as I said, is a deleted scene where the fella does tell them, like, you can't touch it, you will die. Um, so they never directly lay hands on it. Um, but, unfortunately, uh, Marion's escape attempt doesn't quite work out because mm-hmm. she does break away from Belloc. I like that when she holds the knife up to him, he just goes... <laughs> he yeah. just laughs at her because he's he's drunk they're both drunk um her less so yeah although he does have that line about it being his family label and him having grown up on it um as a kid i thought that meant that like oh he's he's not getting drunk <laughs> like he's he was raised on this shit i was raised on the milk i was raised on the dairy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um but tote shows up just as she's trying to leave and i love the fake out yeah where, uh, the hanger yeah, yeah, he has a he has a hanger that looks like a torture device or something, and the way he's handling it suggests it's like he's, I, as a kid I thought it was like a Michelangelo's nunchuck. Yeah, or something. I thought it was something he was gonna hit her with. And even yeah, even no. uh, Belloc is like, oh shit, that doesn't look good. And they're both relieved yeah. when they find out it's a hanger. Yeah, the the timing on him like effortlessly is just like twisting it into a coat hanger is beautiful. Um, and then the the line after the so what shall we talk about? <laughs> it's like nothing because you're a weirdo. Yeah. Fuck off. And she doesn't have any information. Like she doesn't know where he's at. He just says I have to go look for something. But yeah, and to their credit, the the Nazis have been expressing that. That's like I don't know why we're keeping her around, Belloc or Belosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, like she really isn't useful to us in any way. Um, and then as they make their way out into the encampment where all the workers are sleeping, by the way, just yeah. out in the open air. Um, uh, they notice all the diggers over by, uh, over on the hill. Uh, and so all the Nazis and Belloc uh, run up on Indy. And unfortunately, uh, Indy and Sala had sent up the, the Ark before themselves. So Sala got out, Indy's still in there. And then the Nazis uh, occupy the spot and kick the rope into the pit mm-hmm. so now we have a situation where indy's trapped down there and uh harrison ford has one of his best bits in the movie here where belloc is taunting him from up above and uh not not straight up profanity but he's, he just gives a laugh and he, he like mutters under his breath like son of a bitch, bitch. yeah i do like it <laughs> it's, it's beautiful it's yeah. fantastic uh, but, uh they th- they throw marion in there at, it, like despite belloc protesting uh, she is a like like I said, Punky Brewster, but also like kind of a comical character because when she realizes there's snakes, her climbing on top of Indy trying to stay safe from the snakes. Did you notice it? She's got like one leg over his shoulder and the other one like around his waist, trying to get up on top of his shoulders. I it's really <laughs> funny her trying to climb up on top of him. 
No, I mean, she's like practically doing an imitation of the monkey from earlier in the movie. Or Pretty much. Like just, she's tied up in like a knot on his back. It's like just, just there's limbs poking out from all these weird angles where it's like, where is the woman in that dress? Like, Oh, man, what is, I'm trying to think of the scene in Beetlejuice. Oh, uh, in Beetlejuice where they meet him like down in the, in the model. And uh, he comes to life, and he's like pulling stuff out of his pockets, and he hands Gina Davis the rat. She goes, wow, like she makes that really funny noise, and it reminded <laughs> me of that. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, I, there's so many quick, quick gags in that movie. They're absolutely fantastic. Oh, Dowry's on me, Dad. <laughs> oh, I've been. I'm like, I'm gonna watch a Halloween-esque movie tonight. I'm like, I'm was floating between like sleepy hollow or nightmare on elm street but man beetlejuice this might be the right time for beetlejuice too nice fucking model (laughs) hong kong that movie is fantastic uh yeah but um yeah she she's all manic in the pit here this is where we get the uh the corpse attack um after indy knocks down one of the walls um, and then they actually kind of quickly uh, get out of this predicament. The one thing that's yeah. funny about this is the the lighting after they seal them in. It's like super fucking bright yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's, that doesn't quite make sense, but whatever. It's not as obnoxious as like you know the, those giant lights that they have out on movie. Like we're gonna film at this lake, and we have to say that the moon is like super, or like we're just saying like oh, it's the moon that's lighting it. But you can like see on the other side of the lake, like there's this huge light basically. But yeah. This is like, you see the torch going out, and it's still crazy well lit in this whole thing. But hey, yeah, it, it, it's, it's fine. It's a little silly. It's yeah. it's hard not to notice. But the point is, we're not meant to linger here well, too long. We're meant to get to the next scene. It doesn't matter too much, because really what the torches are supposed to be used for is not for light. But he says, swipe them at the snakes. It keeps them away. So that's really the fear of the torches going out, is they're not going to have a way to fight off the snakes. Yeah, and apparently uh, on the set, actually, that was a problem because the snakes gravitated to the fire the, because they're cold-blooded. <laughs> there's quite a there's quite a bit real snakes, like a lot of real snakes in here, but I did notice some fake ones in there just to kind of cut some corners. Yeah, there are some rubber snakes. Uh, they encountered a lot of issues having having enough snakes. Like they, in terms of the square footage of the set, I guess like filling the space was a huge problem. Such that they it delayed shooting quite a bit because they had to, like, import snakes from from everywhere they could. Um, it was a it was a big undertaking. It's a lot <laughs> and of snakes. actually, George Lu- George Lucas did point out that it's like it scenes like this that made me want to pass this project on to someone else. <laughs> it's like, I didn't want to deal with that shit. Yeah, we um, uh, we go through the wall, out the back door, and do you need me to just, like, put my legs up while you go through the Nazi plane fight? Because I know... I mean, I'd, I'd love for you to participate, but, like, th- th- this, this to me was... This kind of is childhood. Like, this sequence and the one that immediately follows it. Like, I know. As I say, the, like, the, the plane- next... Like, the next 20 minutes of movie are just like, all right, Trevor, go ahead. Uh, I, I mean, really, this this is, like, kind of what built my relationship with film. Like, at least live-action film, anyway. Uh, was the plane fight and the truck chase. And they're both phenomenal, even to this day. Like, the choreography and stuff is not nearly as crisp as what we get today. Uh, nor is it as imaginative. But it's it's creative, it has a wonderful flow to it. It's scored by John Williams, so you get that. And not only that, every time someone gets hit in these movies, Indiana Jones has his own sound effect yeah. for his fist. Yeah, it's 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 literally uh, Macho Man. <laughs> it's Macho Man hitting the Slim Jims. Dude, I'm sorry. Uh, 
I watched the cream rises to the top, like all the way through. I was laughing my ass off because I didn't realize Macho Man was doing a magic trick and pulling the Korea. whole time. The whole oh time. Oh my god, I was, I was losing. I almost sent it to you. I'm like, he's seen it a dozen times. He knows. But like, I had never watched it all the way through. It is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's so no, great. no. No, I, I have seen it probably three dozen times. Um, my my girlfriend, her her most recent birthday, uh, I got her a card, the cream of the crop, with oh. Randy Savage holding a little creamer. Yes, thank you for putting your shoulders to your ears for that. <laughs> if you could, oh yeah, he just keeps he just yeah, magically pulling them. The God. whole time he's talking to Mean Gene, he's pulling he's, little creamers out of his wristbands. He's not even pulling it; he's making them appear, and it's it's amazing. Like he he's practi- manifesting creamers. Yeah, he was just fucking doing bumps of coke, practicing that magic trick at home. Like yeah. my favorite is when he puts it on top of his yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no, off. there's no way. But then he, he has pulls another one. Um, so I will try to just uh, keep my what I like about these t- these back to back scenes kind of brief. Um, I like how the plane scene. There's this constant like you have a plane moving, you've got Nazis around the corner, like you're trying to be quiet and cautious, and you've got this immovable object that you're trying to get through, and it's funny. It just keeps it just never pro- it keeps just not progressing. Like he just keeps being pulled back, and I think it's. It's funny, but it's also effective at keeping the tension up. See, I'm actually, it's funny. I didn't expect this, but um, that's really fitting that you brought up Randy Savage uh, because the choreography of the plane fight actually got me thinking that Spielberg could have been a really good wrestling booker. Like, mm-hmm. like he, know, he knows ring psychology. Yeah. Like he knows how to, to block out an action scene to tell a story. And actually watching him, like, in the bonus features uh, for this film, film this scene was so cool uh, because he, he was, you could tell he was giddy as a schoolboy shooting this scene because apparently uh, so much of the choreography of the sequence, the plane fight, was come up with, like, on the day of. Like, they just got the stunt coordinator and the principal actors involved together and just said, what do we do? And then they just, like, scrambled around and fucking figured it out. And it was it was very cagey very like indie style filmmaking on a big budget set or like a big movie set and it it feels it like mm-hmm. so so much of the way the scene is coordinated and the way the editing flows together i think the most important word to use in in reference to this scene is geography because like you said the plane is a constant element in the choreography we never forget that we have a moving plane with propellers that figure into the choreography of the fight like every step of the way, we never forget every element involved. So it's like you're spinning a bunch of plates, but something to do with the timing of the edits and the the shot choices. Like we're pulled back just just the right amount where we never feel lost. And there's no weird jump cuts or anything where it's like, oh well, somebody teleported or every something feels out of place here. It's like it it flows together remarkably well. Um, and on top of that, like the characterization that comes out of the simple act of people hitting each other is is truly remarkable mm-hmm. because we have we have multiple elements at work so we have indy um and mary we have indy and mary and they're trying to hijack this plane because they believe that's where they're loading the ark to transport out of cairo um indy's about to sneak up on the pilot but unfortunately some mechanic guy who by the way is played by uh the stunt court one of the stunt coordinators uh i think it's i think this is glenn randall uh, he's the guy with the wrench 
Uh, he's a little he's a little guy with a big wrench. <laughs> he he like pulls him off of the plane. They start going at it. Meanwhile, this big giant dude, this German boxer fellow played by Pat Roach, who we saw earlier in the film in Tibet or uh, Nepal, rather, uh, he comes out of his his like tent and he's just thrilled. Mm-hmm. Like he's just thrilled at the prospect. Like, oh, there's a fist fight going on. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and so like Indy dispatches the the little guy with the big wrench. And then he gets up on the plane. And I just love the bit where the big German guy puts up his knucks, like in like the old. I was gonna old say timey. he does the old timey, yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got the knuckles turned out. <laughs> I've never understood that stance because that's what Leo does. That's what the two guys do in uh, Gangs in New York. That's how they box. Yeah, it was a different era of the sport, but he has his knucks turned out, and he's he doesn't speak English, so he's just yelling at Indian German. And Indy's just like he's laying on the plane because, mind you, he's had a long fucking night yeah. of digging and you know going down and fighting snakes and stuff. And he just looks at him. And he actually puts his hand out like, "Okay, yeah, his, okay, his, all, fine." His cortisol <laughs> levels are shot at this point. It's yeah, just been constant. But just, but just the body language is so perfect because he's just like, "Okay, yeah, fine, buddy, fine. Uh, whatever." And so he just like gets off the plane and he puts up his hands and his stance is so fucking lazy. He's just like. I don't want to do this. Well, it's like, like if, if we spoke a common language, we could avoid this. <laughs> yeah, he's going toe to toe against a guy who is well out of his weight class. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but the opening move—it's so beautiful because remember, Indy's beat up at this point. He's already tired, and he's he's facing off with this guy, and he like looks down like your shoelace is untied, and he just does this deep look down at the guy's feet, and it takes a beat. And the guy, like, you see his head tip down, and Indy, like, kicks him in the gut, but it doesn't do much. So uh, the first thing Indiana Jones is, the first thing he does is cheat. No, no, no. This is, if there was ever a time for it, pocket full of sand. This is a pocket, pocket full sand. Po- pocket sand. No, he, I mean, he does bust out the pocket sand later. Um, he, he actually does. Um, but, but opening gambit is to do the your shoelaces untied. Yeah. Um, but then he's getting his ass beat, and he spends pretty much the entire fight getting his ass beat. Um, and Marion gets involved in the form of uh, the pilot getting wise to the fact that there's a fist fight going on. He doesn't want nothing to do with it, but he's got a Luger that has something to say about it. So he keeps trying to shoot Indy, but the big boxer guy keeps stepping in between them, so the guy can't shoot Indy. But there are a couple of beats where where the guy shoots and Indy's just like he's caught between two things. He's like, I got a, I got a brick wall of a man in front of me, and if I go this way, I'll get shot at. Like, where do I go? What do you want? <laughs> it's like, like th- this is this is Dad at the end of his rope. He is about to turn this car around. Um, and Marion gets involved and she knocks out the pilot with like the chocks, I guess they call them. Uh, the yeah. stoppers for the wheels of the plane. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, uh, it starts up the engines of the plane, and uh, we have a situation where there's a gas leak that's threatening to blow up the plane. Meanwhile, she hops on like the turret in the rear of the plane, and she just goes to town on some Nazis. Mm-hmm. Like she shoots a good dozen or so Nazis while the fist fight is going on, and the intercutting between the two action beats is fantastic. But what I really loved is that Indy gets his ass beat for most of this fight. Um. And he he defeats he defeats this big burly German through wits and not brawn, but the movie is kind enough to give him like a just a, a a little bit of a victory just before that, in the form of him getting his good shots in, where it's like he didn't actually overpower the big guy, but he did break his nose mm-hmm. and and make him taste his own blood, so it's like 
it's like the movie kind of like just giving him just a, a little bit of a victory where it's like he didn't actually win the fight but he won a little bit of the fight like he can feel good about himself after that but do you remember how this guy like eats it yeah he gets eaten by the propellers doesn't he yeah it's yeah. one of the most iconic deaths man i don't know if i brought this up on our cinematic deaths episode but it's fantastic because the guy has a bit of a tendency to fight by like i guess boxing rules like i'm not gonna hit you unless you're standing so he's like every time he knocks indy down he waits for him to get up so indy sees the propeller coming in behind him and the guy keeps like saying at him probably in german like come on get up and indy just waits and then he like covers his head though like oh shit (laughs) and then the guy turns around just in time to get diced up by this prop and uh the way they show the blood spraying on the on the (laughs) <laughs> on, the, on the gun housing is, is fantastic. I had a friend who almost uh, died uh, chalking and chaining uh, an airplane because it had propellers in the front like this. And generally, you go in towards the... Like, you line up with the wheel and you go straight in with the wheel to do it. But some planes, you go you go forward like that. Like, you just go straight at them. And he wasn't paying attention. And he was running to where the propellers were. and Because they were going so fast, he didn't really notice them. And at the last second, somebody grabbed his uh, grabbed his jacket, yanked him back. Uh, he got kicked off the he got kicked off the flight deck for the rest of the day, and he got he got chewed out hard because he literally almost died, uh, not paying attention. I mean, yeah, I I would want him to take a minute to to realize how close it was yeah, you know very close. like i don't want you working the rest of the day man like you need to take a long look at your life and and learn to value it <laughs> yes um um but yeah I, it's such a good demonstration of indy's character how it's like how he how he ends up defeating this guy is not through wits but through not through brawn but through wits mm-hmm. where it's just like clever observation of his environment and outwitting the guy and e- even the way he gets marion out of the plane like he's he's trying to tell her how to unlatch unlatch the thing, and at at one point he just bangs on the glass and just says, "Never mind, get back!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just shoots it open. It's like, yeah, that that's an Indiana Jones move. It's just like, fuck it, what whatever works. Um, but yeah, she she gets out and uh, they escape from the plane just as it explodes and the Indiana Jones the march uh, plays. It's cinema, mm-hmm. and I have to pee. Oh, all right. <laughs> Oh, and uh, by the way, the uh, the pilot in the sequence is played by Frank Marshall, uh, who is the producer on the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently Spielberg like twisted his arm into playing this role. Um, and the guy was at first thrilled about it, but then he realized, oh shit, I have to be like in a glass in a glass shielded environment under 120 degree weather for like a good solid week. This is going to suck, and it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, immediately following this is the truck chase. Um, this is in between these two sequences is where uh, Indy has that line about, like, I don't, I don't know, I'm just making this up as I go. Like, And again, that, that sums him up so well. But uh, this, this sequence is probably one of the most imitated action sequences in in history. Like, it, it's so utterly iconic. Um, it's especially noteworthy because um apparently this was the first time spielberg shot with a second unit or at least the first time he made this extensive use of a second unit so while he was off uh filming the rest of the film with like the principal cast and whatnot uh he handed the reins off to a fellow named uh, mickey moore 
uh, who it was his assignment to just focus on shooting this sequence. Like all the shots that don't have Harrison Ford in them, with the exception of the shot of him being dragged by the truck, uh, they were off just doing this. Hmm. And Spielberg just trusted them to get it done. Like he wasn't present for any of it. Um, and also, you know, we we're shooting on film, so like it, it's not like he could be watching the dailies and reviewing it and stuff. Like there was several days delay between that. Um, so this was kind of like, I don't know, representative of how a lot of modern day action films are put together these days. Um, a lot of a lot of times, action stuff is handled by entirely different people than the person whose name is on the project. Um, so this was like a big first for Spielberg and it would go on to be a recurring element of his filmmaking process. Um, but yeah, this sequence, like the reason why it's so beautiful is like one, it's shot incredibly well. Um, but two, it's, they make, they make extensive use of literally like everything you could conceive of doing with the elements at, at hand where it's like, okay, we have a truck. Okay, we have all these other moving vehicles. Okay, we have people in the back of the truck. What cool shit can we do with all this? And it's, it feels like they do pretty much everything you could think of, and they do it remarkably well. Um, do you have any moments from the sequence, Kyle, that particularly stand out to you? Oh, when Indy's on the front of the truck, uh, that, that whole sequence is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, just the fact that he gets onto the front of the truck, like even today in, in 2021 watching that, it's like, oh, shit. Like, I, I wasn't sure if he was going to end up there. But wow, uh, that's a man hanging off of the, the grill of a truck. <laughs> I always get this sequence and Raiders or not Raiders, but uh, the other one, um, Last Crusade. Last Crusade. I always get the, the ch- tank. Yeah, I always get those confused because it's like the exact same um, uh, landscape. It's just like they're in the desert somewhere. Similar texture and similar thesis when it comes to the choreography of it, where it's like, we have this tank. What can we do with this tank? I love the bike chase, personally. Out of all of these, the, the bike chase with uh, um, the sidecar is a lot of fun. I'll, I'll go ahead and disclose it right now. Um, not my favorite action sequence in, in the films, but maybe my favorite piece of music hmm. in all of the films. Um, it's called the Sherzo for motorcycle chase. Um, it, it's like a three and a half minute piece of music that is largely just isolated to that sequence, but it's maybe my favorite composition from the whole series hmm. with the exception of the Raiders March. Yeah. I don't, I don't recall. I'll, I'll try. Well, I'll try when to we, it, when we yeah. get to it, keep, keep your ears open. Cause it, it's lovely. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the sequence is phenomenal. Uh, Indy catches up to this truck, which, by the way, this is their alternative me- method of transporting the Ark. Now the plane's been blowed up. Um, by the way, uh, Harrison Ford, uh, his leg got run over by the plane Ooh. at one point during filming. Ouch. Um, yeah, he he just uh, iced it up apparently. Nice. Like he he just he walked it off. Not not like on Star Wars where he like was destroyed for like a few months or whatever. <laughs> um, like this was when he was a much younger man and could handle things like having his leg shattered and stuff. <laughs> um, but um, he catches up to the truck via horse like horse riding, and then he he jumps onto the truck and like immediately it's it's another one of those surprise moments. Like he he just climbs on the side of the truck and the guy in the passenger seat he just opens the door just pulls him out and just without a word just yanks. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's like a Batman move. It, mm-hmm. It's like the Batman backhand almost where it's just like whoa, <laughs> I yeah. didn't see that coming. But he just tosses that guy out, 
and then he just like grab he grabs the driver in like a headlock and is like giving him the death noogie. Like, like mm-hmm. it's like quit, I'm gonna cook you, yourself. motherfucker. Stop it yourself. It's, it's the John. John <laughs> I'm gonna cook you. I'm gonna cook you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is John McClaning him. Uh, a few years before John McClane would would ape the same routine, mm-hmm. um, but he tosses that guy out too, and then uh, he grabs control of the truck. He uses it to knock some other vehicles off the road i love how he takes care of the motorcycle where the way he just like he just like barely twitches the wheel mm-hmm. and you don't see the impact of him hitting the motorcycle you just hear it but you look he looks over and he gives this like childish just like, <laughs> 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 like like he, he know he knows how easy this is gonna be to knock a, a motorcycle off the road with a giant fucking truck and yeah we see the aftermath of it it's great um one of the uh, German officers and his buddies eat shit. They fly off of a fucking cliff um, because of Indy knocking them off. And uh, he's he's one of the German officers who's kind of been pinned as, uh, I guess, one of the higher-ups or something in this desert operation. So he's he's dead. Um, but things really heat up when uh, all, the, all the soldiers in the back of the truck uh, decide, you know, we should probably do something. <laughs> um, so, so they all climb over on either side of the truck. Uh, to try to regain control of it, and I like I like the bit of him looking in the mirrors on either side, and he just sees like it's like six or eight different soldiers, like four on each side or something, and just Harrison Ford, he doesn't say a word, he just makes a noise, he just goes, yeah, <laughs> it's just like oh this is Harry, but just that sound sums it up so perfectly, just yeah, <laughs> but he uh, he like turns the truck into the tree line to like knock all the soldiers off but then there's this one paul hogan looking guy that gets on the roof he does it different and he gets in there and for some reason this guy this guy is like the alpha german or something because this guy puts up a fight like like he he doesn't look the part but my god this fucking guy like even this guy's hairline i found irritating because his hat flies off at one point and i was like oh not a good hairline (laughs) but uh Indy does get shot in the arm at one point, uh, so he's wounded, and uh, that that actually factors into the choreography between him and this tough German, because uh, the guy gets the jump on Indy because he thought he already got rid of all the soldiers, and the guy comes in through the roof instead of the sides, and uh, he immediately just starts giving him a noogie in his bicep where he got shot, and uh, he throws Indy onto the hood of the, the truck, and he starts falling under, and this is where we get what for the longest of times i don't know where it's regarded these days in terms of hierarchy but for decades this was regarded as like one of the finest stunts in cinematic history um this would be the beat where indiana jones goes under the truck Mm. and we see every step of the process like we act like just like yep that's a man holding onto the undercarriage of a truck and sliding with his back on the ground yeah um it's it's utterly fantastic and it's one of those things where it's like uh the belloc and and tote and uh dietrich uh, are all riding in a vehicle ahead of the truck and they're encouraging the the driver of the truck to like ram into them so they can smush indy and indy sees that and it's like one of those things where it's like well if you gotta go you gotta go <laughs> it's like where do i go from here it's like well I'm not going to give up, so I guess I got to go under. And, uh, yeah, this stunt was executed by, uh, what's his face? Glenn Randall, uh, who was uh, the smaller German fella on the plane fight. Um, And this guy holds the distinction of, like, not only being an ace stuntman, but uh, he is also 
credited as being Boba Fett at one point. Hmm. Uh, so he's both Boba Fett and Indiana Jones. Nice. Uh, he, uh, in interviews, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Brad Pitt's character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood may have been partially inspired by this guy. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he has a similar vibe to him. Uh, he seems like a sound. He seems like an old cowboy. Like it, like in interviews, he's 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 smooth. <laughs> like he's very very self assured in his capabilities. But uh, yeah, this this stunt never fails to amaze. Um, and then uh, we get the beat of him uh, hooking his his whip under the truck and then sling, shooting out the back of it. Harrison Ford actually did get dragged behind a truck for a little bit of this. Uh, and then he climbs back onto the truck, surprises the German guy, and uh, <laughs> we get some like awesome barroom choreography in the form of him just grabbing this guy by the nape of his neck and just like putting his head into the dashboard over and over and over again. <laughs> and then he throws the guy out onto the hood of the truck, and uh, unfortunately, he's not able to hold on to it as well as Indy did. Uh, so he gets runned over, and uh, th- I don't know exactly how they executed this. Maybe just had a guy lay down in front of the truck like in the foreground of the shot uh, but it just looks awesome like they actually show the guy get run over <laughs> it's like not every movie not every filmmaker would feel the need to actually show a man's arms flailing around while he's being run over by a truck but god bless you spielberg like <laughs> when when you're feeling particularly malicious that's when you're at your best <laughs> it's like did i really need to see quint like eat shit that badly yes no <laughs> but yes yes <laughs> no but yes um but yeah indy gets the arc back and uh then we uh take refuge in cairo uh we get to see dietrich throw a melon it's pretty funny it's like a and i think i heard a dog yelp on the soundtrack as well so i think i think it's just spielberg trying to tell us the viewer that you're not supposed to you're not supposed to like the nazi it's like, I, I know yeah we know <laughs> like, i don't yeah I, I don't need help with that but uh then they head to the boat kyle oh god and uh this is the <laughs> oh god oh that boat i'm sorry yeah you're right the boat yeah this sequence i could have just done without i didn't need these two characters slightly hooking up i was just fine with it being like like sexual tension throughout the rest of the film like it would have been fine if it was just that um but yeah i thought you're talking about the submarine which is the most problematic part of this movie in my opinion um but yeah the boat the boat guy do you notice who this captain was the boat guy? Uh, I didn't recognize the actor, no, but Mr. Mister Katenge. <laughs> he is the general that they have um, at the base in Black Hawk Down, the one with the cigars. Oh, okay. Yeah. The- wow. I, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but um, not not an actor that's familiar to me, but I guess his, his face sticks out, though. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a good job of making you question whether he's a good guy or not yeah because just just his speech cadence and the way he's positioned in the frame when he's introduced like that's all it takes is for you to be like i don't know about this guy um he turns out to be just a cool guy but um you're immediately suspicious of him but i actually like the scene of uh indy and marion together like um i i always got really confused by her uh, hitting him with the mirror Mm. because she flips the mirror at one point and it hits him in the jaw but as a kid, again, watching this movie on a shitty bootleg VHS, I couldn't really make out what happened. But we cut to an exterior shot of the boat, and we hear him go, I, <laughs> I don't like it when Harrison Ford gets sexual in movies. I don't know. He just it, he comes off as a creep. Like it's fine. He's like smooth and suave when he's courting, 
But when it's actually happening, he's very awkward. It's it's very weird watching him. It's like Blade Runner, uh, this. He's kind of creepy, honestly. And uh, like he's sexually harassing Princess Leia in Episode Five. Like it coming on to her pretty strong. But yeah, he's very. It you know, just seems very creepy when she's actually in the getting the moves in. I know what you mean, and I, I think I agree. What I like about what I like about Indy, at least in this film, is a. Uh, how how childish he comes across yeah like he almost comes across as kind of naive because like we have the scene where he is beat to shit like after all he's been through he he is not in the mood Mm -hmm. for anything but marion is so she's like wanting to smooch and stuff and he's she they're getting frustrated with each other and then he's like pointing out spots where it's okay to kiss her uh, for her to kiss him and she he starts like at his elbow and he's like that was kind of nice. And he's like, uh, "How about on top of my head? Like, how about my it, how about my eyeball?" It makes me cringe. Like just you, you like going back over it. Uh, it's so weird. I don't like that. But what what I like though is how how it comes across as like a like a pre adolescent boy or something. Like, it's like he, he comes across as very childish, where he's like bargaining. Mm-hmm. Where it's like it's like if you give a mouse a cookie kind of thing, where he's like, "Oh, well, if I keep asking, maybe I'll keep getting more." And, and like eventually, of course, he ends up on the lips. But the way he the way he propositions it, he's like, "I mean, it would be okay if you kissed me on the lips." <laughs> like, it's, it's it's I think it's cute, but um, like, I, he passes out I say, like as she's kissing him. <laughs> I love Blade Runner, but when he and Sean Young hook up, it is I'm like I fast forward to that shit. It's so awkward. Like, get it get it over with. Well, I mean, I feel like when you make physical contact with Sean, Sean Young, there's just like a, an electric shock that goes through you where it's just like, oh, <laughs> oh, no, like, like, like whoa, whoa, yeah. like, I don't know what the fuck, I don't know what the fuck your energy is, lady, but I don't want none of it. Yeah. <laughs> She's a, uh, an eccentric woman. <laughs> Not a bad actress. No. I've seen her do decent work for sure, but um, there are too many stories about her being all sorts of weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he passes out, uh, and she she has that line, like, we never seem to catch a break, do we? And it's like, no, absolutely not. No. We gots to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my girlfriend actually was quick to point out, it's like, oh, he is not ready for a relationship. I was like, <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> like no he's he's in love with his rare antiquities and the hunt for those yeah he just needs um, to throw a few bones at the uh, students there i think that's gonna be need to be his bread and butter for a while i mean if george lucas wasn't writing the character that would that would be an element of the character yeah but you know it's george lucas but what are you gonna do yeah but um yeah in the morning though the nazis show up and they brought literally literally kyle das boot with them this is literally the same submarine and one, as as from the film Das Boot. And once again, Marion is back in the clutches of the Nazis. <laughs> yes, they once again take hold of her. Uh, they once again don't want her, but Belosh, uh, Belok, uh, he is still bargaining. Uh, and he manages to keep her alive. Uh, so I guess that's a good thing. But um, Kyle, I know exactly what you you were alluding to earlier about the boat. Uh, do you want to inform the audience what you're talking about? Yeah, I don't know how far this boat goes, but it goes quite the distance. <laughs> it goes across an ocean with Indy riding it on top, just just hitching a ride. That I mean, besides r- like rats falling into a hole in a boat that I'm submerged in water and I have rats on top of me, that's terrifying. The only thing. That's just as terrifying 
is hitching a ride on a submarine in the middle of the ocean. This thing could dive at any moment, and the, you're you're done. Like it's just like you are in the middle of the ocean. That's it. Yeah, we we get this big celebratory moment where the Raiders march plays and Indy sneaks aboard a submarine, yeah. <laughs> which is capable of submerging. Yes. <laughs> Um, very 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 deep underwater (laughs) very deep um but uh fortunately i guess again these are not top nazis kyle this is the this is the b team and then some well i guess these are incompetent sailors submarines they have the i mean it kind of makes sense submarines have the option of submerging they don't have to and i would assume a lot of times it would just be more convenient to just stay on top of the water we're not hiding from anybody right now we're not in dangerous zone so I guess it does make sense that they would just, you know, ride topside to where they're going. But just the possibility that they could drop down is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, they. I, I looked at the map just for funsies just now. And uh, they travel roughly the length of the country of Greece. Substantial. That's, that's a few. That, that's a few miles. To, <laughs> to, that's a few <sighs> nautical miles, to say the least. Um, and yeah, this is one of the inarguable uh, plot holes in this film. Uh, absolutely inarguable, inexcusable. Like even a casual viewing of this film makes you go, "Hang on, what now?" What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, my girlfriend was definitely like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 hang on." Um, yeah, it's funny actually. There are deleted scenes. They actually filmed him clutching the periscope in in open water. Like they actually filmed Harrison Ford doing that. I was like, "Yeah, it's a really good thing you didn't include that because that just that just puts a magnifying glass over how fucking stupid that is." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how easy would it have been to get like somebody with a boat out there? It was like a fast boat, something that could keep up with a submarine. Like just tra- like just trailing them, like oh yeah, we can actually we have a we have a telescope here, we can just watch and make sure that we're following them, and they could have followed closely enough that they wouldn't have noticed. Or yeah, it, it it's a weird logistical thing yeah. where it's like, did we even really have to have a submarine? We didn't, but no, we we really didn't. But it's one of those things. I'm sure somebody got excited about the prospect of like, oh, we can rent the submarine for really fucking cheap yeah. <laughs> it would be really fucking cool wouldn't it it's like yeah it would be fucking cool it's like does it make any sense not really no. <laughs> um but yeah it, it's a it's a stupid moment um but thankfully it's just a, a little hiccup in an otherwise fantastic film but i love uh when we we park the submarine apparently this was an actual submarine base like an actual nazi submarine base hmm. somewhere i forget where uh where it was but it's literally what it was built for. That's why it looks the part. Um, I love the bit with uh, Indy stealing the the uniform. The hat. Uh, well, yeah. The first uniform he gets is too small, which is something that in 1981, I don't know that that joke had been made yet. Mm. Or, you know, like there have been plenty of jokes made about how convenient it is that you, the uniform always fits when you steal it from people. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the opposite ever, had ever been made where it's like, oh, shit that guy was small (laughs) um and then he's getting chewed out by some some nazi official it's like you can tell from the tone that and the way that the guy's like tugging on the fabric of his uniform that he's like talking shit about like why you look like such a slob (laughs) like and he's like trying to fix his hair and stuff so he understands like snippets of what's being barked at him the american like neat i was gonna say the (laughs) the american military takes it pretty seriously when your uniform looks like shit 
Uh, I'm assuming Nazis are far worse at that. So yeah, that's a funny beat. Yeah, no, it's funny. And then the conclusion of it is he just gets tired of listening to this guy's bullshit and he knees him in the crotch mm-hmm. and then steals his hat and his uniform, which this time fits. And uh, I did like that he bumps shoulders with Belloc and uh, Belloc doesn't recognize him. So it's like, that was fucking close. Fucking <laughs> close, yeah. And then he gets um, a bazooka. We, <laughs> yeah, and then he gets himself a bazooka. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the cops have themselves an RV. Yeah, he just... Yeah. He's just like... Uh, He's just, like, up on a hill with a bazooka, and he's got the drop on everybody, which is pretty stupid, and I'm glad they, like, bring it up. Belloc's just like, you're not going to shoot us with a bazooka, (laughs) dude. We're not fucking stupid. You don't want to destroy the Ark? You don't want to kill Marion, obviously, so what are we doing here? Yeah, no, it's kind of a fruitless effort. I think it's meant to just point out, like, how out of ideas he totally is. It's like everything everything that he's gone through at this point points to him having maybe a problem with like obsession mm-hmm. o- over over the treasure hunt. Um and I think this is just him at the end of the road where it's like I'm literally so out of ideas and so exhausted that I'm just going to I'm going to grab a bazooka <laughs> and point it at you knowing full well that I have no intention of pulling the trigger. Um, and yeah, sure enough, he doesn't, and he gets captured. And so he and Marion are both held captive for the finale of the film, uh, which is a utterly iconic sequence. Um, this would be the opening of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so oh. as, as, a, as Dietrich put it, I think he says, I am uncomfortable with this uh, Jewish ritual. <laughs> Are you sure it's necessary? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I never really made that connection. It's like, huh, yeah. Uh, can we talk about Belloc's outfit? Uh, I, I, I don't know if it's actually taken from anything, but it he 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 had that outfit. He, he was he had somebody carrying that luggage yeah. this whole time. Ah, I thought it was pretty... I looked at him like, wow, I don't think he's supposed to be wearing that. Uh, (laughs) Also, like, what is he wearing? Yeah, it's some kind of ceremonial something. And he he has, like, a golden goat scepter or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would assume it's meant to be part of the, quote, Jewish ritual that Dietrich was alluding to. Um, But yeah, uh, basically, we have an entire assembly of the not top tier nazi troops yeah. uh gathered at some desert like some submarine base of of the nazis and uh we have all all sorts of light kits set up it's the nighttime. uh belloc says some some sort of prayer presumably in hebrew um and then they open the ark and uh, they do contradict the logic of the deleted scenes by having uh, a pair of soldiers actually touch the ark and not perish um, but they they take off the lid, and then Dietrich reaches in, and uh, it reveals dust. And it was mentioned at the beginning of the film during the briefing sequence that the the was it the stone commandments, the Ten Commandments, were supposed to have been smashed uh, before they were placed in the Ark. Uh, so that tracks, and yet everybody's kind of bummed. Mm-hmm. Like the Nazis are none too proud about this. And by the way, the whole the whole reason we're doing this right now is because uh, Belloc was threatening Dietrich earlier in the film, saying, like, are you really sure you want to, like, take your chances opening something and not knowing what's in it when you bring it to fucking Hitler? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, I should probably know what I'm getting into before I present, you know, this golden box to him. Um, 
but yeah this is where we get the line uh when uh things start to get spooky uh where indy tells marion do don't look in it whatever you do don't look at the ark mm-hmm. like when it's open and uh kyle do you want to describe what goes down here yeah i can explain it in four words uh zaps melt melt explode yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, basically, a whole bunch of spirits come out of the Ark. Uh, we get some lovely special effects here. This was done using a variety. I, I think it still looks good, actually. It looks pretty uh, silly, but it's still creepy. It it works, but it's a, it's a little it's a little silly. Some of the technology they used was really cool. Where uh, they they used rod puppets, but they put them in water to give them that flowing movement mm. and so they're like rod puppets but they're like in a water tank with just like a black background and then they superimpose that onto the film ah, okay um and then we have the the one that gets front and center where it's like a ghostly spectral woman that mm-hmm. turns into like a, a skull face thing it looked like a video game thing to me it's just like it's a little Arr. too blurry yeah yeah it, it's it, there's not enough detail where it's even to this day on blu-ray it's just like yeah. i don't entirely know what i'm looking at all i know is the music's going ape shit and it made a rah, noise yeah. so i'm i guess it's scary um and then tote really sells it where he goes ah! <laughs> and uh dietrich does the he does the toad face where he goes ah! and uh lightning bolts lightning bolts shoot out of the arc and impale all the soldiers uh to this day, actually, the image of like the lightning coming out of the one dude's eyes mm-hmm. still kind of looks creepy to me. Um, so it's pretty brutal stuff. <laughs> um, but our three principal villains uh, each get different forms of heat related heat related deaths, and they're all spectacular. Uh, Dietrich shrivels up like a prune, um, and this was done by building a puppet head and then like vacuum vacuuming it hmm. and just. <laughs> It literally makes that noise. It literally goes... <laughs> um, uh, tote uh, melts. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the most common gifts you'll find online. Yeah. Is uh, Tote's head melting. And uh, the way they did this was so cool. Where they... Uh, I guess they took gelatinized paint. And uh, in individual layers, like, painted all the layers like, like you would paint someone's anatomy. So they they did like the bone layer they sculpted the bone layer then they painted on the nerves and the muscle and the veins and the arteries and like put the eyeballs in and then they filmed it in extremely high frame rate and uh applied heat uh to it and the the gelatin melted and they got it right the first time it looks fantastic um and then belloc's head exploded and apparently they narrowly avoided an r rating uh by superimposing flames onto his head because without the flames, the the MPAA felt that his a man's head exploding front and like front and center in the frame was a little much for a PG rated film. Yeah, <laughs> it does explode. Yeah, it does explode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all, like the big finale of the arc, uh, killing everyone, like it, it creates this like vacuum effect. Like flames jet up into the sky, part the clouds, and then the lid falls back on and. It's like nothing was there at all. Like all the bodies are cleared away, and Indy and Marion wake up, and their uh, their shackles are undone, and uh, presumably they hop on a radio and uh, call call the Americans or something, uh, because next thing you know, we're back in the states, and we're talking to Hootkins again, and this is where we get that line of top men are working on the Ark, and Indy is pushing back on this. He's like, "What do you mean top men are working on the Ark? It's like." you don't understand what i 
I didn't actually see it, but the point is there was a lot of noise and then there were no Germans. <laughs> like clearly this is very, very dangerous. We should probably be very careful. He's like, it's okay, Andy. We got top men working on it. Um, and then I believe uh, he meets Marion on the steps and uh, it's the first time we've seen them both like cleaned up and like with makeup and like classy clothing on. They both look fantastic. And uh, she invites him out for a drink and says, cool your jets, buddy. Like, you'll have another adventure. Trust me. Both you and Spielberg are signed on for two more films, yeah. even though, <laughs> like, actually, apparently, uh, George had to lie uh, to both of them. <laughs> uh, George Lucas uh, convinced them to sign on, both Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg, uh, for a three-picture deal um, with the promise that all three films were written. He only had one. <laughs> shocker. <laughs> yeah, shocker. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, don't worry, Indy, you'll be back in two two more adventures. It's like contractually obligated. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we get our pre-credit sequence of uh, an old man wheeling, wheeling a very big box containing the Ark into a gigantic uh, painted warehouse. This is a matte painting. Uh showing that it's like oh they're just going to put it in storage and sit on it until uh kingdom of the crystal skull where uh will irritate everybody by showing that same warehouse <laughs> um, yeah anyway that was raiders of the lost ark from 1981 uh any closing thoughts kyle no nah, not really submarine that's my only real only real hang up with the movie other, other than that it's still a lot of fun to watch I do think it's funny that it literally is exactly the same submarine as was utilized in Das Boot. That's pretty cool. Like, yeah, that, that's just a fun little factoid. That, I mean, you know, antiquated German submarines are probably not easy to come by, so it doesn't surprise me, but, you know, it's just kind of fun. But, but yeah, that is, like, legitimately a, a massive plot hole. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, obviously, both Kyle and I have quite a bit of appreciation for this film, probably myself more so, um, but... That may have just be because I've seen it so many goddamn times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, this has been the beginning of our uh, master class of the Indiana Jones franchise. So uh, tune in next week for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, also directed by Steven Spielberg. But in the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as uh, our social media accounts. Uh, you can reach us at uh, the Instagram at catching up on cinema as well as the twitter at catching cinema uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those and the podcast is available on pretty much plat any platform you can imagine including cephalopod so fucking google it mm -hmm. um, but that being said this has been way too goddamn long <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time yeah